For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. And a very good morning to you. It's uh, just coming up on 10 minutes past nine. This is uh, Mick Mulcahy in for Neil on the Neil Prandeville Show. Drink, drive, video, joke. Uh, says the uh, major headline on the front of the Echo today. Leaving Cert student bragged before crashing car. Liam Halen reporting that a Leaving Cert student boasted and joked as he was videoed drinking behind the wheel of his car shortly before crashing into a wall, causing serious injuries to his friends travelling with him. The video made against a background of rap music showed 18-year-old Sean Barrett of Wheat Ridge, Maryborough Woods in Cork laughing and joking about drink driving in his Volkswagen Polo after they'd all been at a match earlier that day, which was back in December 2021. He's now 20 and faced sentencing at Cork Circuit Criminal Court. Judge Catherine Staines said the video joking about drink driving was absolutely appalling. She later added that to boast about it on the video was abhorrent. Uh, The three passengers were injured two of them seriously and one of them ended up in intensive care with a lacerated liver and uh, one of his kidneys has been reduced to 10% of its function. It was a single vehicle crash. Full details on the front page of uh, the Echo. Also there, and I hope we uh, might get time to speak about this later on on the programme, there's concern over Camden Fort Maher. Uh, Fort Maher will be brought back under the control of Carrigaline Municipal Council Cork County Council CEO Tim Lucy has told councillors. The discussion at yesterday's full council meeting was initiated by Fianna Fáil councillor Audrey Buckley after a motion to suspend standing orders was agreed to address concerns that the attraction may not reopen for the summer season. So it may not reopen at all and it's very popular. Uh, Mr Lucy said more clarity on the future of Camden Fort Mar will be provided by next Monday's Southern Committee meeting. He said unsafe operational practices uh, there and some structural unsafe practices were uncovered at the fort. Uh, That resulted in the closure of the facility around the autumn of last year. But with the new summer uh, upon us, uh, there are worries it may not open at all. Hopefully we'll get more detail on that as the programme goes on. Uh, also in the Echo, staying with the Echo for now, Paul Street Shopping Centre goes to auction online. One of Cork's premier shopping centres is to go under the hammer at an online auction later this month. Paul Street Shopping Centre in the heart of Cork is up for auction with a guide price of £1.95 million. Um, BidX1 is handling the sale and is inviting bidders to register online at bidx1.com in advance of May 18th. A bidding deposit of €20,000 is required, fully refundable if the bidder is unsuccessful. But I suppose that's to keep the uh, the tyre kickers away, as they say. You've got to prove your intent and that you're serious. Uh, the uh, passing rent is 311500 per annum. Seems like a cheap buy then, considering its city centre location, uh, with a net operating income of €283,222 per year. That's an initial yield of 13.2%, which seems attractive, and that comes with uh, excellent reversionary potential, according to BidX1. Its retail floor area is 13,793 square feet. Uh, Check that out also in The Echo. And uh, The Echo is a great read today because there's even more there. A new addition to the fleet for Cape Clear ferries. Cape Clear in beautiful West Cork uh, of Baltimore, of course, between Baltimore and the Fastnet has announced its summer schedule for West Cork, taking in Baltimore, Cape Clear, Island, the Fastnet Rock 
and Skull. This is uh, Cape Clear Ferries. The announcement comes amid the launch of the newest addition to their fleet, the Carrig Aner, which was formerly known as the Spirit of Doolan. I was on the Spirit of Doolan. It's a fine vessel uh, on a visit uh, out to the islands. The weatherproof ferry built to withstand unpredictable Irish weather and it would be up there in the uh, in the in the midst of uh, the Atlantic uh, on the western seaboard is certified to carry 200 passengers to the country's most southerly point just in time for summer visitors can circumnavigate the iconic Fastnet Rock lighthouse in the comfortable surrounds of the new ferry with a large saloon windows uh, offering panoramic 360 degree views from both inside and out Fastnet tour is going to be very popular and has received many awards of course Mostly uh, recently receiving, didn't it, the Wild Atlantic Ways Tourism Business of the Year in 2022. Uh, so that's uh, going to get you out on the Wild Atlantic Way. Come on! Out of that. Come on, as in Irish for Hurley. Uh, hurl to pay uh, at... Uh, that's a pun on a hell to pay. Is it hurl to pay at GAA Go? Uh, the Tornister puts the boot in. And Donald Logue, as you'll have heard yesterday on the programme... Uh, him speaking on RT on Sunday night. We uh, played that for you yesterday. He's pucking mad. <laughs> Very good. Donald Ogue is pucking mad. Uh, the GEA is uh, being urged to scrap its extremely unfair pay-per-view service just weeks into a five-year deal. With 38 championship matches behind a paywall on GEA Go, Mayo football legend and TD Alan Dillon raged, what kind of promotion of our national games is this. Don Logue Cusack accused the GAA of exploiting hurling. Tonish to Michal Martin wants all games free to air, while TDs are demanding RTE and GAA bosses be hauled before an Oireachtas committee. Uh, check that out uh, in the... It's the Mirror. Oh, sorry, it's the Sun. That's the Sun front page today. Uh, over to the Mirror. Uh, and its front page, the pay-per-view backlash makes there as well. It's gone gaga, GAA, GAA. Top sports stars and tarnished a call for all matches to be free to air. The GA has scored an own goal by forcing fans to pay to watch football and hurling on TV, former stars claim. The organisation was under intense pressure yesterday after tarnished to Michal Martin, a big GA fan of course, uh, joined the call for all matches to be free to air. Finnegal TD Alan Dillon, former Mayo football captain and all-star said major games were now on GA Go, a pay-per-view streaming service added it's a Trojan horse to get people to sign up. These things very often are the thin end of the wedge, aren't they? Uh, turning over to the Irish Independent. Kids as young as 11 or 12 drinking. Uh, a study shows uh, effect of alcohol in the GAA. Uh, a harmful drinking culture exists among inter-county GAA players. A new study has found citing widespread excessive alcohol consumption, alcohol-related harms, and binge drinking. The research paper published in the Irish Journal of Medical Science analysed the comments of 111 elite GAA players in response to a survey on alcohol use and culture at inter-county level. Uh, drinking bans and the practice of binge drinking following long periods of abstinence were recurring themes in the feedback, uh, with one player describing this as a culture of uh, full duck and no dinner. Uh, others suggested the link between GA and alcohol was fostered from an early age, with one player claiming to have seen children as young as 11 or 12 drinking during county final celebrations. You can check that out uh, in the Irish Independent today. Disabled kids trapped by a broken lift. Um, that's making a big headline here. 
But it's the end of the headline that really catches the eye because these disabled kids were trapped by a broken lift, not just for 25 minutes, not just for 25 hours, for 25 days. Teenagers with disabilities were confined to their bedrooms. Now, they weren't stuck on the lift uh, for 25 days because a lift in their home was broken. A damning report has found the Health Information and Quality Authority, uh, always, of course, shortened to HICWA, uh, carried out an unannounced inspection of the Woodbrook Lodge Home for Children uh, with a Disability in Monaghan on January 25th. They found that two residents who were on the first floor had been stuck in their rooms for 25 days because the lift was broken, but also found no other alternative was considered. That's in the star today. Over to the mail. Uh, one in four are now in arrears on their gas bills. Uh, a report has revealed over 670,000 are living below the poverty line. Almost one in four gas customers in the state are in arrears uh, with their bills by the end of March this year. New figures from the Commission for Regulation of Utilities show that 168,444 consumers are now behind on their payments. The figures show a 35% increase in arrears since the start of 2021. Staying with the mail and uh, Cabinet to be briefed on plans to future-proof the economy. Indeed, uh, I believe Minister for Finance, uh, you know, they don't often have good news, uh, but Minister Michael McGrath is uh, going to be telling us how the huge surplus uh, is going to be spent. The Cabinet today will be briefed on plans to future-proof the country's economy by storing away billions of the predicted bulging budget surplus. The Department of Finance estimates that the state will run a surplus of €65 billion euro between now and 2025, which is largely attributed to soaring corporation tax receipts. Levels of corporation tax have risen by more than 450% in the past decade. However, Finance Minister Michael McGrath has been warned by his officials that half of the $24 billion in corporation tax receipts may be windfall in nature and therefore should not be committed to recurrent spending. So let's uh, firewall $24 billion of it and put it into fixing the health and the homeless crisis. Uh, why don't we do that? If we're going to only see it once, let's put it to some good use, eh? Uh, Ireland's biggest climate polluters have been revealed. Independent front page uh, tells us that Ryanair, ESB and Pfizer are on the blacklist. Ireland's biggest climate polluters have been revealed and they include some of the country's best-known homegrown companies. The list of high greenhouse gas emitters is packed with electricity producers, cement firms, dairy processors, pharmaceutical companies and airlines. Ryanair, ESB, Irish Cement, Aer Lingus, Dairy Gold, Glanbia, Bordnabona, Pfizer and many other household, name, household names feature. They're well known because they supply essential services and products, create many jobs and swell the corporate tax revenues we just spoke about. Uh, despite how embedded they are in society and the economy, however, their collective impact on climate is a major problem for the country. We spoke about it yesterday, but now it looks like Patrick Keelty is a done deal for the Late Late Show presenter role following weeks of talks at RTE. He was meant to be in the kind of upper earnings range, so uh, there was some speculation that RTE maybe could not afford him. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. The County Down comic, uh, I met him once actually, lovely guy. Uh, viewed as the ideal fit on a show with an all-island feel. And he's funny as well. Patrick Keelty is on the verge of becoming the uh, next Late Late Show presenter after negotiations with RTE Chiefs reached an advanced stage 
weeks ago. Uh, half a million were tuning Kin. The finale of Kin had us all glued to the screen, says the star today. Uh, Jitters is a, ma- a major headline also in the star. Wild Youth said they have definite nerves, while Youth's lead singer Conor O'Donoghue has admitted feeling nervous ahead of tonight's Eurovision semi-finals in Liverpool. We'll have a detailed look at the Eurovision in a few moments' time. And the Snooze Analyzer, a device that can tell if you're too sleepy to be driving. A roadside blood test for sleepy drivers being developed by scientists could lead to prosecutions for those who cause accidents through extreme tiredness. Breathalyzer tests are used to detect people driving under the influence, of course, but there's no definitive way of working out if someone caused an accident because they were drowsy. However, now, researchers have identified molecular markers in blood that can indicate how many hours of rest someone has had. Those are the morning papers. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Coming up on 25 past nine, good morning. Should we pack in Eurovision? It was a, a thing we put up on social last night with Ireland ranked 150 to 1 to win the Eurovision in the bookies. Calls are growing about whether we should continue to enter the competition. We are still... Uh, for now anyway, for this, for today, <laughs> for this week maybe, uh, the most successful country. Ireland hasn't won though since 1996 and we only qualified for the final once in almost a decade. This uh, is offset as well, of course, uh, by the backdrop of 300 grand it's costing the taxpayer to send an entry into the competition every year. Laura O'Mahony joins us in the studio. Have you no home to go to? I make. I like. To, I'd stay around for you. Make no bother. <laughs> this is an outrage. Make the notion that we wouldn't take part in Eurovision. I would suggest two things. Number one, I think our selection process of the song might slightly need to change. I think it needs to be separated out from the Late Late Show. I think it needs to go back to the Euro song days. And number two, Eurovision is still amazing if you learn all the other songs. Right. So this year, I am. T- Team Sweden, I'm Team Finland, and I'm Team France. There is a whole world out there, guys. We don't just have to focus on Ireland, and it's amazing. It's still amazing if you just look outside of ourselves. Oh my God, this is going to be interesting when the, <laughs> when the couldn't care less meets a super fan. <laughs> A super fan. I remember the night that Neve Kavanagh won, sitting in my communion dress. I had just made my communion, watching Neve Kavanagh win. And I feel that urge to pass that joy down onto my kids. So, like, my two now tonight are staying up for the semi final. They're very invested in Ireland. They know that we have a struggle ahead of us, but they also are Team Lorene and Sweden all the way. Giving them the gift of Europe, Mick. Okay, do you know the closest I ever came to Europe? Well, I've, I've met Phil Coulter on a number of occasions and introduced him on stage as well. Yeah. I actually worked with Johnny Logan <gasps> on the night after he won the original. <gasps> no way, mate. Yeah. Oh my God, which I was, time? I was do- I think it was, I'm not sure it was the first or second time. Right. I think it could have been the first time. I don't know. What's another year anyway? <laughs> um, yeah, I had to get that one in there. No, the, very cleverly, the owners of the Monster Arms Hotel in uh, in Bandon had booked Johnny, knowing he was entering the National Song Contest. Wow. And they booked him for the Saturday night, or was it, I think the Sunday night. Yeah, a- after the Saturday Eurovision. Uh, and he won, and he, and he was contracted to be there, and he was there. It was about an hour late. Oh You're looking God. at a couple of thousand people just couldn't believe that they were in in the presence of this guy who was on their tellies last night. And that kind of begs the question, at this stage of the proliferation of multimedia, isn't this really hearkening back to the time when it was a wonder 
that we could all hook up and visit different countries. Yeah. It's just every day now. It's Nomic. It's still the most magical festival of all time. You just have to get bait into it earlier on. Like, I know all the songs for a couple of months. Um, like, Sweden do it right. They have this thing called Melodian Festival where they have this big, massive festival to try and pick their song. It's huge. I saw a picture of the arena last night. It looked bigger than the actual Eurovision arena. We just need people to get behind it. Ireland has gotten very kind of begrudgery saying, oh, we'll never win now. It's all block voting. We should never have sent Dustin, blah, blah, blah. It's only all nonsense. This business about like you can't be successful after if you enter the Eurovision. You absolutely can. Maniskin, who won it for Italy, opened for the Rolling Stones after doing the Eurovision. You can be huge. Ireland is just feeling a bit hard done by because we haven't won in ages. I'll tell you how we win, Mick. You send a better song. Like send Lyra, send Hosier. Like Sinead O'Connor offered to do it. Send Sinead with a banner banger of a song and we'll we be back at the we top. Send, we send Nicky Byrne. Isn't he one of Westlife? Yeah, well, Failed he, to qualify. he probably should have brought the other three lads with him. <laughs> but right. It just needs to be a great song. Portugal won in 2017 with the smallest, most dotiest ballad ever. They were unbelievable. Manishkin won with this big, massive rock banger. And this year, it's either Sweden or Finland's for the taking. But I do think we'll get out of the semi-final. I have this endless time. hope. Endless hope making the when hope. When is that? Tonight, is it? Tonight, we're on six. That's my telly commandeer tonight, then. <laughs> oh, my telly is very much all your vision in our house. So, yeah, I think we will get out of the semi-final. It's a really hard semi-final. There's 15 acts, only 10 get out. And there probably is 10 songs better than us. But the lads have been doing really good on the kind of press tours and the pre-rehearsals and the dress rehearsals. They're out and about. So hope, and it's only a jury, it's only a public vote tonight. There's no jury tonight. The jury's only on Saturday. So the public vote is only tonight. So hopefully other countries will get behind. Like, like a talent contest. Exactly. Proper. Okay. Exactly, yeah. I just got to mention this. If you're counting down the days to Eurovision, you might want to know there's a place uh, that will send that excitement into overdrive and that's Eurosong Radio. Yes. And that's on the Go Loud app and you'll hear tracks from all this year's contestants and legends like Johnny Logan, Bucks Fizz, Jedward, Laureen, Abba, Neve Kavanagh, Katrina and the Waves and more. It pays tribute to more than 50 years of the iconic show Eurosong Radio. So check that out. It's on the Go Loud app. Uh, and of course, we're all in the Go Loud family now. Acts sharing stories and insights about their experience and their own favourite Eurovision song too. You can do, uh, download the Go Loud app for free. Um, let's look at the detail of, of some of the stuff that's happened here, right? We failed to qualify on numerous occasions. Mm-hmm. Donna and Joe, oh. Dustin the Turkey, oh. Sinead Mulvey and uh, Black Daisy, Neve Kavanagh, like former winner. She did qualify, actually. She did qualify, uh, but She but did didn't qualify, win, yeah. yeah, but didn't win. Uh, Canlon featuring Casey Smith, Molly Sterling, Nikki Byrne, Brendan Murray, four years in a row failed to qualify. No wonder we were getting depressed at not winning anymore. Uh, Do you have a magic formula for for winning here? I do. I know you said better I have it. I have it, Mick. It needs to be in Irish, right? Ask Gaeilge. Start off plaintive, Shannos, traditional Irish. Then it needs to come in with like a techno banging club beat. Some sort of drums. Basically like a mini river dance, right? But with a techno side. And then we'll do it. Amazing costume. Amazing staging. At least one person wearing wings. And that's it. We have it. (laughs) We have it. Make it simple. It's simple. Uh, just been told salt water by chicane. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, some of the comments on this, though, maybe if we actually submitted a decent entry, things yeah. would be different. The UK have really turned things around this year and last. Um, put it in the same bin as the Late Late Show. <gasps> 
yes, it's become a political platform for years. This block voting thing, where we started to never feature anymore. It's a myth. Make it's a myth. That's only Ireland being bitter. There's no block voting. Sure, England came second last year, like, and the the, the Sweden, like the big five, you know, like France, England, Spain, all of them. They're all. It's there's no block voting. We're not an isolated island. We need to send better songs. That it's as simple as that. Send a banger, lads. Okay, what's the procedure? What times on TV? Time eight o'clock tonight. It's only on until ten past ten, so the kids could stay up if you wanted. There will be fifteen acts singing. Ireland sings sixth and. 10 acts will go through and then the second semi-final is on Thursday. Another 10 acts going through and they will join the big five plus the Ukraine on Saturday. So the grand final has 26 acts in total. Hopefully Ireland will be one of them. We're not going to win. If I had, if I was a betting woman, I'd be looking to Sweden, Finland or France. You heard it here first, Mick. To urgent matters, have you got a smallie to collect at half nine, did you say? Oh, no. <laughs> no, my mum's collecting the smallie. Oh, OK. Well, will you hang on then? <laughs> I will, I will, I will. I hate to be t- taking people from family business. <laughs> I'm going to talk to Lisa Byrne in, in a few minutes. Uh, Lisa was there last year. Uh, if you remember, if you were listening, we found her outfit and uh, repatriated her with her outfit. Uh, and we'll talk about that again. Uh, but Liverpool, eight grand for a bog standard hotel double for the week. I'm going to be talking to Lisa about that. But you said outside earlier on, <laughs> oh yeah, I'd pay that. Well, it's it's your vision, Mick. I like as in I'd give anything to be in Liverpool this week. It's not our fault that the hotels are gouging the prices. The atmosphere over there looks absolutely unbelievable. I'd um, I'd certainly see what I could. We're scraped together. <laughs> okay, I, I've got some. Uh, I've, I've got details on my screen here, and it really tempts me to uh, put you on the spot. Okay, can you name all seven Irish winners in the correct order and um, have a stab okay. at uh, the years that they won? Okay, so we started off with Dana. All kinds of everything. Somewhere in the seventies, was 19, it? Nineteen seventy. Okay, then we had Johnny Logan, and we had Hold Me Now. Okay, so it was definitely Hold Me Now that I worked with him the night after. Yeah. It was 1987. Okay, and then we had Johnny Logan again with What's Another Year? Uh, you've got them reversed. Oh, no. Well, anyway, we two Johnny Logans in a row, we didn't we? two Johnny Logans. What's Another Year in 1980? Yeah. And in 1987, uh, Hold, Hold Me, me now. now. What's Another Year written by Shay Healy, wasn't it? Then it was. Then we had Linda Martin, Why Me? Written by Johnny Logan. Correct. Then 1993, Neve Kavanagh, In Your Eyes. Followed by Paul Harrington and Charlie McGettigan, Rock and Roll Kids, 1994. Well done. And then we had Emer Quinn and The Voice in 1996. Well, you'd know that because that was the last <laughs> yeah, time that yes. we won. Not uh, bad, not okay, bad, let's, let's have a listen to all of the Irish winners and then we'll, uh, we'll speak to Lisa. And thanks, Laura, for staying with us uh, at the moment there. Have a listen to our Irish Eurovision winners. Such a lot of 
songs on the radio I was yours and you were mine And that was once upon a time Now we never seem to rock and roll Okay, there is our Irish Eurovision winning history. We were just talking about Phil Coulter there while that was playing. And um, Phil used to spend a lot of time locally here because I think one of his, his son was in the uh, National uh, Nautical College. Four, eight. Uh, and he was quite popular around the Monkstown area because he'd stay in, in one of the local places there, the boat. And that was many years ago, of course. Um, but I remember introducing Phil, Phil Coulter on stage one evening for the RNLI. Uh, and in the course of, uh, you know, kind of researching the intro... Um, some of, an amazing Eurovision fact came up. I think he wrote, didn't he write Puppet on a String? Yeah. For Sandy Shaw, he wrote Congratulations for Cliff Richard. Yeah. Uh, and that song came second, and there was some sort of shenanigans apparently went on with General Francisco Franco, who determined that Spain should win with Eviva España. And it was considered, and I didn't speak to Phil Coulter on this, but it was part of the introduction, it was considered that in the fullness of time, congratulations would be granted the number one position wow. uh, against Evivia Espana. Now, holding for a long, long time, and thanks for staying with us, Laura, is Lisa Byrne on line one. Thanks, Lisa, for holding. Oh, sorry, Lisa. It'd be handy if I pushed your button. Hi, Lisa. Good morning. Thanks for holding. Now, uh, say hello to Laura. Two of you could be two anoraks because you're... <laughs> uh, Good morning to you. Good morning, Lisa. Cuddle in, my Eurovision buddy. Uh, Eurovision Absolutely. anorak time. Uh, now, we helped you get your luggage back last year for the event in Turin. Remind, my, us, my remind outfit, us of that, yeah. will you? Well, no, I ordered clothes especially for it and it just kept saying it being delivered and delivered and they were holding it hostage and you helped me get it back in time for my flight, which was which was, which was a kind of a, a deal in itself because our flight got delayed from Cork so that um, so we were had to speed our way to uh, Turin to actually make the final, but we made it, we made it, so it was a really good time. Okay, now when you went to book accommodation in Liverpool this week, as I was talking to Laura about, it was £8,000 sterling for a bog standard double for the for the week, that was just a bit too far for you, was it? And that was well, that was literally the day after they announced. We went online to see if we could book accommodation. So they literally, it was between Glasgow and Liverpool. And the, as soon as it was announced, the day after, we went online to see, and the price of accommodation was just insane. Now, in saying that, you could probably find a room tonight. They have started to come down in prices. Whatever little rooms are left. Mm. In a situation like that, I don't know how it works, but if you knew it was going to be Liverpool or Glasgow, could you not have gone on and booked rooms a couple of days before on Booking.com or something and cancelled the one that... You could, but I have heard horror stories of people having their rooms cancelled and then the hotels putting the prices up and then putting them back up online. Okay, okay. So what is the fascination? Please explain to the uninitiated. There is no other music festival like this in the world like every other band or whatever else you go and see their 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 actual programs their shows are planned for years in advance this is a show year in the making that has countries from all over Europe taking place taking part and it is live there is no other show like it in the world I I imagine uh, to, to give it a bit of a positive spin here I imagine there's no other footage 
uh, quite like it as regards market penetration for the likes of Board Fulcher. Uh, you know, when, when you want to display the kind of country you are and get people to visit, uh, there's probably no better better vehicle oh, than these intervals in the Eurovision. Well, I mean, those those intervals are actually used. I mean, they're a great way of selling the country that it's in. But, I mean, they're actually used for resetting the stage for the next act. So they they, they have two purpose. Like, you know what I mean? But no, there's no other stage that would give you access to that many people around the world. Okay. Do you know? Now, we're, we're kind of on a sweat here because... Ireland has uh, participated in Eurovision more than 50 times and has a record seven wins. So we're not doing too bad. We're the best. But Sweden are closing in with six wins. And Laura here thinks uh, they're in in the running top two. Well, Laureen won won for them before and her song is really good. And Mm. she's she's one of the favourites to win. So if if they win, they they they, they tie with us for the most wins. I think she might win the jury vote, but I think that Finland will win the popular vote and it'll just depend on uh, how much they win that by. You know, that amazing moment in the voting where it switches over. So you get all the juries first and then you get the public voting top and everything changes. Last year, Ukraine were fourth. And when they added in the public vote, they came first. Unbelievable scenes, mate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, as you said, you said it like, you know, it's France, Sweden and um, Finland on the top three. Yeah. By all the bookies, chance. And, and Lisa, would you agree with Laura's interpretation of, of how we might actually score another win? I actually would, to be honest. So, don't, no, no offense to the boys. I mean, their song is really, really good, and I, I watched the the choice, and I, I mean, congratulations to everyone who entered, but they were the best. Yeah, they were okay. the best choice from that. Okay, so being nice. So, performance-wise, is it good or bad that we're on earlier or, or late? Uh, we're kind of middle of the road, you see. Um, I kind of would have preferred if we were later, kind of kind of 13th, because it was probably 13th, 14th, just before Finland. Um, it kind of would have stuck with people's minds a little bit more, I and think. Is, is there a first night, second night advantage? <sighs> we haven't been in semi-final one for God knows how long, you know? Um, I mean, there were three definites going through from semi-final tonight, as far as I'm concerned, like Finland, definitely. Um, Norway is definitely going Norway, through. Norway, yeah. Sweden is definitely going through. Their other seven places are up for grabs. Yeah. Okay. The only positive way I can put it out. <laughs> so where where will you watch it, Lisa? Um, I'm probably hopefully going up to my friend Lindsay's house. I'm, I'm hoping she's listening, so hint, hint. Um, Lindsay was, was with me in Eurovision last year. JP, who, who was with us last year, is actually over in Liverpool, but he has a friend who lives in Liverpool, so he's staying with her. Um, so shout out to JP too. Um, so we would be watching that. Much too, we've, we've kind of converted her boyfriend to, listen, like, to, to watching it with us. He kind of begrudgingly does, but like he secretly loves it too now. So Oh yeah, my husband is a super fan. My husband is worse than me. I call him my sparkly husband he is super fan no he can like I was really into it but he showed me the way of looking at other countries because I was very Ireland focused and he was like hey Laura look at Sweden hey Laura look at Finland so it was all Shane thanks to Shane O'Mahony Laura's invested in all of Europe (laughs) and Australia Mick don't forget Australia randomly in it as well I'm impressed Laura let's forget about this programme and head down to Paddy Power (laughs) let's go to Lindsay's house (laughs) Uh, I think you guys get on get on very well together (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all, all right, so do you, do you agree with, with Laura, Lisa, that uh, Ireland will make it out of the semis tonight, but it, uh, she doesn't see us winning it at all? Um, yeah, 
that I am optimistically hopeful that we will make it out of semi-final one. We, um, um, no, but I don't see us winning it. No. Yeah, okay. But I'll be happy once we get out of the semi-finals. Okay. So I would be like, I think that would be a turning point for us and kind of would get people more invested as well. Yeah. And especially more interested in, in kind of seeing the final on, which would be amazing anyway. Okay, best national Eurovision presenter is, uh, you know, without, without taking anything from any presenter, is it hard to beat Terry Wogan? You leave Marty alone. I'm right? a Marty I'm Whelan a... stan as well. You, Marty now, all the don't way. Don't get me wrong, right? We, no one will ever take from Terry Wogan. He was the master at the entendre and the amazing comments and how we got away with him for years is, is insane. And everyone loved it. But you got to love Marty. And I met Marty last year. He's amazing. Like, okay. you, know. you agree? Oh, Marty all the way. I always listen to Marty. Marty's little quips. He'll be telling you when you can go to get the cup of tea and everything. I'll be baiting to Marty now tonight. <laughs> okay, well, one final call here, guys. Uh, hang on there, Lisa. Angela, uh, you did the double oh, yeah. booking thing. Did you? You were heading to Liverpool on Thursday for the event. Yeah, we double booked um, Glasgow and Liverpool. Well, Elena did, my friend. She's, she's quick off the mark. Okay, so you tried that on a, on a kind of a booking.com site or a hotels.com yeah. site, is it? So you only yeah. paid 145 euro to stay near the Docklands. That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So 145 each, we've got an apartment um, and we're just pretty much on the Docklands. Yeah, so it's a 10-minute walk from the Euro Village. Kind of, we're dead centre, so... No, it, it actually worked. What's the big attraction for you? We just love the Eurovision. It's just great fun. We just love it. We've always had like Eurovision parties and we just said it's probably never going to get this close again in the next couple of years, so why not? But you haven't got any tickets to get in. No. We did try. Four of us on the computer for hours that day and they were just gone. Um, we got tickets for the Eurovision or the Euro Village, which is sold out for the final. So that's being hosted by the Venga Boys. I think they're there and performing. So yeah. that's as good as we could get. Yeah. We don't care. The atmosphere is going to be amazing anyway over there. So it'll be great fun. And I, I heard Sophie Ellis-Bexter was meant to be there as well. She is. And Sharon Very sad what happened, was wasn't it? <laughs> She's not here. No. Sophie Ellis-Bexter was found dead uh, in the apartment of a French international football star. Mick. P- police, are tr- police are treating it as murder on Zidane's floor. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> <Make>. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't resist that one. A- anyway, a final wrap-up with all of you, with Lisa, with Laura and with Angela. Can I ask you all, ladies, is it very much a female thing? Oh, God, are you oh joking? My God. No. Oh, no. I, I challenge you to go to Eurovision and tell me it's a female thing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, you know, along the vein of I'm a celebrity and all that. Absolutely not. I'm a celebrity is not a female thing either, Mick. It is... Equally balanced, if not slightly more weighted in favour of the men. Okay, Lisa, uh, your boyfriend apparently warrants a mention here. Who? Your boyfriend? Oh, no, my friend's boyfriend. Oh, your friend's <laughs> boyfriend. <laughs> I was like, where do I get a boyfriend from? <laughs> <laughs> At the Eurovision, Lisa. Yeah. Apparently, he, he, apparently, your friend's boyfriend says he doesn't watch it. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. But yeah, watches yeah. it for the talent. <laughs> That's a classic yeah, man response, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. He'll tell you that now, but, like, we all know the truth. Okay. And uh, Angela? Yes? We never asked you, who do you fancy winning? I, I do like Sweden. I like Sweden, and I really like the UK. I think the UK has yeah. a good song, but I don't think she'll win. No, I don't think she doesn't perform well live, to be honest. She'll be no, top ten, I'd say. Yeah. 
We're going to be Eurovisioned out of it here by Thursday, are we? <laughs> well, if we get through the semi-final, Mick, we, you'll never hear the end of it. Okay. Thanks, guys, for uh, and thanks, Laura, for staying on after no the breakfast show. You must be knackered. It's oh, uh, a long old day. <laughs> that early in the morning. Uh, and you finally found your calling, Eurovision expert. Yes. <laughs> uh, Angela, thank you very much. Thank you. And, and uh, th- thanks to Lisa as well. Laura, we'll say no goodbye problem. to you. Um, so what, what, does, what does tonight uh, hold for you? Is it kind of a... Mm-hmm. You're like you're getting a takeaway, bottle of takeaway, wine. What's the over to my mommy's house, and me and the kids are staying up, and we're watching it until the bitter end. And I'll be crying if Ireland doesn't get through. <laughs> okay, and uh, Wild Youth, we are one. Do you want to do a bit of an intro here? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is Conor Donoghue, lead singer, Wild Youth. They're up sixth tonight in semi-final one at the Eurovision. They're our best chance in ages. Here they are, Wild Youth. We are one. Didn't nail the vocal. That's Wild Youth. It's Ireland's Eurovision hopeful for this evening. Uh, and it is uh, 2 minutes and 59 seconds long because the Eurovision song must, uh, by necessity, be under three minutes. Now, um, that is anthemic. It's a little formulaic, I think, and uh, I would think not the uh, very best song that Wild Youth have ever recorded, and Mags McKenna in uh, Balancholy would be in total agreement with that, having just texted in saying, but very best of luck to Wild Youth, and we are one uh, in tonight's Eurovision in Liverpool. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 0818-104-106, Red FM. And it is six minutes to ten o'clock. Let's wrap up your uh, things, your vision on the Neil Prendiville show this morning with PJ McNamara. Good morning to you, PJ. Good morning, Michael. You think it's gone dull and boring and uh, friendly and block voting has destroyed it, is it? Ah, it has, yeah. I remember, Jenny, I remember your vision growing up and going back. Do you know, I actually remember Dana winning it, would you believe? Mm-hmm. I would have been, I would have been, yeah, I would have been in Scaldi. I was, I was living up in the, um, on the Leach Kilkenny borders. And I remember coming out singing that night in the white dress. I would have been, I was born in 64, that was seven, I would have been six years of age. But I actually remember her winning it. And it was a kind of a big thing in our house at the time. Because I don't know whether you remember or not now, the, the, the newspapers would always have your own scorecards and all that in it. That's right. You know. I remember, you know, being, the, I remember being in a pub in McCroom. I'm not sure which, which of the years it was. It was jammed. Uh, you could hear a pin drop, and people were literally dancing and and uh, spilling onto the street when Ireland won. Is, is that sort of excitement gone now? Ah, it is gone out of it, yeah. And the music is not the same as it as it was either. I was actually living in England when Charlie Gettigan won it, um, and I remember the other his name, uh, Paul Harrington. Anyway, rock, yeah, yeah, rock and roll kids. We were up in the Cricklewood Inn Hotel uh, that night. It was a friend of mine ran it. And it was a huge crowd, and I think it could have been the same night because the crowd spilled out in the streets, and it was it was like we it was like we'd won the World Cup. Yeah, that, you know? that kind of I remember that kind of emotion and euphoria as well. Uh, you reckon we should get out of it altogether? Yeah, for you see, at that time as well, it was supposed to be unprofessional talent that was to go through and sing, if I remember correctly, and. I mean, you have lots of in this boy band that's in there now. Yeah, why, why, why youth? You know, they'd be they'd be professional yeah. bands. So would uh, Brian Kennedy. Uh, yeah, but this is it. You see, this this is what I'm saying. Nicky Byrne. Where beforehand it was, we say the likes of the likes of the U's and me's 
uh, I mean, Butch Moore. Remember Butch Moore? I do. Uh, Walking walk the streets in the rain. That's right. Butch Moore mm-hmm. and the... Is it the Royal? Butch Moore. The Doesn't Royals, matter. yeah. 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 Um, but, um, I, I don't know, I think we we destroyed ourselves the year Dustin won us, and Jedward didn't do us any favours either, you know. Yeah, but you're, yeah, they were in they were in twice, weren't they? And and uh, you were saying this year's act will make Dustin look good. I think so. I'm not a lover of the young boy bands coming up. I'm stuck in an 80s heavy metal war myself as far as music's concerned. So I wouldn't have much faith in a lot of the Irish boy bands coming up. If, if you're stuck there's in an eighties, no you're stuck in an eighties heavy metal warp. There, there, there's a guy there calling, um, you know, he's probably a Cork guy that's toured more than Rory Gallagher. Is a superstar in Europe and in America, and is absolutely virtually unknown here in Cork. His name is Mark Daly, and he's got a great uh, heavy band with the Ravens. They're playing in Oliver Plunkett Street in uh, that made major venue there, uh, which, whose name escapes me. Tenth of June, anyway. Uh, I think you'd enjoy going. I'll even see if I can get you a ticket. All right, all right yeah, yeah, that'd be good, Jenny. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like that. But um, you know, then we had Lordy winning it there one year as well, if you remember. Swedish or or uh, Hard Rock Hallelujah. Hard Rock Hallelujah. That was it. Yeah, and that was a breath of fresh air. But now it's just gone all mainstream. Yeah, Gotta leave it there, I mean, uh, PJ. Are you going to watch tonight? Uh, no, I'm washing my hair. Okay, good luck. Uh, I want to give <laughs> this uh, this one event. Thanks, PJ. There's one event I want to mention. David McGrath contacted us. Uh, could you mention my uh, Eurovision event before 10 o'clock? It's Eurovision through the years. I look back at some of the winners, the runners-up, and favourites from 1956 uh, to present. It's presented by David McGrath, and it's taking place tomorrow at 11 a.m. in Holly Hill Library. It's a free event, and all are welcome. News at 10 is next. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And I was hoping to get back to uh, the uh, Camden Fort Mar story that was detailed on the front of uh, the Echo this morning. We mentioned it in our uh, newspaper review. Uh, Audrey Buckley, uh, Councillor Audrey Buckley of Fianna Fáil, uh, is on the line with us. And uh, you've been working on getting Fort Mar uh, open for the past 12 months. Morning, Audrey. Good morning and thank you for having me on. Um, well, um, yeah, look, uh, I think uh, the the what, what had really was happening was um, it was the volunteers. I was approached by volunteers about a year and a half ago um, when uh, they had heard that the, the recently um, uh, manager hired within Cork and Council for Fort Camden Marher um, was leaving um, and they were worried. She'd only been there for a couple of, of months. She was really, you know, they really liked her. She was doing really well and she was leaving so they were concerned that they were going to be waiting again and um, the communication they wanted to know what was happening was when was the new manager coming on board um, and um, they were very concerned about items I guess that were within the fort that don't belong to the council that belong to people that actually kind of donated them while the fort was open um, so all these things were kind of um, going around and questions were being asked and um, the communication hadn't been there. Um, like the only for the Camden Fort Mar volunteers, to be honest, and we all kind of know that they work really hard and they were one of the key stakeholders back in 2010 um, and Fort Camden Mar wouldn't be what it is today, only for the, the volunteers. Yeah, I, I was about to salute the volunteer programme because yeah, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have ever opened at all. No, 
absolutely not no no they're amazing and uh, and to be honest and this all really kicked off though I've been asking I've had a couple of motions in about this um, going back probably about a year and a half um, uh, you know about the, the new manager and then an update and one of the council members came in to us and gave us uh, an update on the fortune we'd asked him to come in I think it was councillor Seamus McGrath asked for him to, for the, for him to come in twice a year because you know it is a council a company project um, and we are we do fund it so it's very important for us the, the local representation to give, be able to give feedback to our community and the volunteers what was going on and uh, it's just been a breakdown of communication and uh, I guess yesterday um, because of last week um, on the Fort Camden Mar social page um, I guess they had popped something up um, their frustration with the lack of communication and what was happening I mean we're, the summer is here the fort should be open now and um, and they're concerned about items that are in the fort and they weren't kind of getting any communication um, back from Cork County Council. Well, they were, but I think it was just the very standard communication, nothing concrete, what was happening and could they get access to go and get the, the items in there. Um, so then yesterday, as a full council I, understanding orders, I had asked, requested if we could uh, speak about Fort Camden Mar um, and, uh, and then really it kind of just kicked off yesterday. But... Uh, um, the CEO uh, did come back with some concrete um, information. I, That's I am Tim waiting for yeah. yeah, yeah, Tim Lucy. But I did ask that we would get an email, and he did commit to um, the the divisional manager for this area sending out an email to the six local councillors this week before the um, Southern Committee on Monday, when he um, acknowledged that they would be doing a report and giving us a report in Fort Camden, because there's a lot of questions to be asked. Are are being asked after yesterday's meeting, or well, yesterday's discussion, because um, uh, Tim Lucy did mention that uh, Fort Camden Marher would be going under Cargilline Municipal District to run it. What, what does that actually mean? So that means, um, well, I, I'm new to, to all of this. You know, I'm a new councillor, so I'm kind of scrambling myself because um, back in the day when, um, back in 2010, um, and uh, Fort Camden Marhu would have been under the Bandon Municipal District because the Crosshaven and some of Cargilline area was under the um, the jurisdiction for Bandon when it was split. And thanks for the God, um, we're put back under Cargilline. Um, so, I mean, really what that entails is like right now the Cargilline Municipal District Office is a roads office. So I'm not sure. Um, I, I want to, like many of us, we we want to hear the detail of exactly what it entails for um, for Camden Mar to be under the Cargilline Municipal District. Okay. They'd have to hire new staff. Um, Tim Lucy did mention about um, they were looking at seasonal staff and management for the fort. But um, if it's put under the Cargilline Municipal District's remit, that would be, we councillors would have a say, but they they just have to hire um, somebody for the fort management. Mm. Okay, now let's look at the historical elements here. Of course, Cork Harbour being the second uh, largest natural harbour in the world after Sydney. Uh, There are bigger, of course, but the second uh, biggest uh, natural harbour was a a jewel in the crown, really, of the former British Empire because uh, anyone trying to attack Cork Harbour would have been caught in a triangulation of crossfire. Now, Fort Mar would have been one of those on the cross-saving side. Uh, Fort Carlisle, 
uh, on the Whitegate White Bay side would have been the second one and uh, in the middle would have been Fort Mitchell which is on Spike Island so uh, anyone trying to attack the harbour uh, where the British Empire would station a lot of their fleet would come under serious gunfire if that was the case. So what's on offer in particular in Fort Mar? Um, I know there's a lot of historical elements there. I know it's been used for TV production. Uh, yes. There's rumours that may continue, uh, even though it may be closed to the public. Um, so what, yes. what do you hope to achieve in opening it? And uh, what does it offer to the local area as regards um, a tourism boost? Well, the tourism is huge for the area um, and not only that, um, uh, the, for the volunteers, the passion and the history of the area is, is huge. Um, we have people, even on um, during the week, people from England and that um, are very disappointed about the fort. They were looking forward to coming to visit the fort again. Um, so we would have um, a lot of international visitors here. Um, what you would love to see would be Spike Island and Fort Mar. Um, to be connected, <clears throat> look at Spike Island. I don't know if you've been there recently, but it's amazing what they have achieved there. And it would be great if we could link up with at the harbour with the water, you know. We have, you know, sea safaris. We have different cruises um, now um, and, and boats there. So there should be a bigger picture. And I'm hoping because it's been a year and a half now we've been told that there's been a feasibility study and a health and safety structural for the fort. I'm hoping that there's going to be a report. And in this report, they're going to tell us how we're going to be moving forward with the fort because we need to know that enough talking about it and let's see some action um, and tell us what's going to happen with it. Um, I mean, there we have asked for an RV park up there for, for the camping. We've we've asked them for that up in Fort Camden so that campers and day trippers can come and, and, and park up there. Um, there's been amazing concerts up there that the volunteers um, have held themselves. There's a fantastic coffee shop up there. We'd love to see that open kind of all year round. So... Um, there's so much that we could do, but I know the cost and all that, and, and I know the health and safety is a huge issue because within the fort, you know yourself, with all the, the different interconnection steps and that, um, it has to be, somebody has to be monitoring it, you know? Okay. Um, you know, just an idea that popped in, into my head. Wouldn't it be brilliant? We often use, there's a derelict pier. We know it as Fox's cover. It's on the Fort uh, Carlisle side. A uh, great place to pull in with a boat and have a picnic and all that. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. that would be a lovely place for uh, a ferry to land, offload tourists who could walk up yeah. to Fort Carlisle. May need some development, yeah. of course it would. Uh, and maybe do a day out of it and then you go across uh, to the piers which would have to be developed again on the Fort Camden, uh, Fort Mar side. And of course, Spike is already uh, thriving because of uh, the is. facilities that have been developed yeah. there. Uh, and I'm not yeah. forgetting that there, there's a local called Michael Martin, uh, very much uh, similar to the name of your party leader, but it's Michael Martin, uh, ex-naval. Uh, and uh, Michael is famous for doing the uh, Titanic trailing cove, but did a lot of work behind the scenes uh, to, yeah. to keep... Um, Spike Island from being sold, developed or whatever, uh, to put it back into, into the hands of the municipality or whatever and to make it a tourist attraction. So uh, Michael has to be remembered there as well. Yeah, uh, and and yeah. if, if we had some champions like that from the localities at the outer end of the harbour on the Crosshaven and Whitegate side, uh, that could be a lovely triangle of activities for a day to bring ferries around to, couldn't it? 
Well, it could. And, and right now, um, Fort Camden, Mark, the last couple of years has been under Cork County Council, under a DAC, under a designated activity company. So two members of Cork County Council are on that. And there's nobody from the local area or the volunteers actually on that either. So I, I am kind of delighted to hear that it's going to be going back under the Cargoline MD because we will get a say. And that's where a step like that might happen, you know, because the passion of the volunteers and that might be able to help bring that along because they've done so much already. But we do need to have a, a future plan for the area and um, concerts and that. Or I've no, I don't know if you've ever been into a concert there, but there's amazing concerts that they do up there. Oh, you know? fantastic destination for a concert. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. what about this? T- it's just, I, I can't remember the name of the TV show. It's a survival sort of boot oh, yeah. camp or something, is it? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. The survival. I mean, they, I, they've been up there twice, um, as far as I recall, and there's been another couple. There is rumours that there's going to be another TV crew up there filming for the summer, but look, that's the world. We live in a small community, and rumours spread like wildfire around. around here. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, but, but it, um, it's kind of ironic if a TV crew are allowed in, yes. you know, if they're quoting health and safety issues. Uh, Ultimate yes. Hell Week was the name of that, wasn't it? Wasn't yes, boot camp. Yeah, yeah, Ultimate yeah. Hell Week. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. were, they were using do. those piers with ropes across them for dunking people in the water and stuff. They were, and we were up watching up in Camden. It's one of the best uh, lookout sites there, um, and we were watching the helicopters, you know, dropping them into the water. Yeah, I mean, um, e- even even without Fort Mar as an open yes. attraction, the uh, the turning circle for the buses at the top yes. of uh, you know you come up past the boatyard and basically turn yes. left uh, and go as far as you can. It's one of these supreme views of Cork Harbour, it and is. the absolute enormity of it can really only be best appreciated from there. Maybe at the top of St Coleman's Cathedral and Cove. Uh, but that's a wonderful area uh, and it worth is. worth a visit to Crosshaven in itself. It is, and, and I just want to say, you know, the Crosshaven Tidy Towns, um, you know, they've got benches in there recently. They work closely with the, the Cargoline MD uh, area supervisor, Shane Piper, and they just put benches and picnic tables up at the top on the green there, so it's even better now. Um, so it caters for a lot of older people who would normally park there and sit in their car. Now they can get out, and you see a lot of people having picnics and that when all those big cruise ships are coming in. I mean, it's uh, there's no better place um, to be when on a sunny day. Yeah. I was in Crosshaven over the weekend actually and um, you know we kind of got the token that this this place has things that many other places don't have and I know it's being uh, championed online by my old buddy Dixie Brazel who does a great job oh. <laughs> at promoting uh, at promoting Cross Haven He's doing dog pictures at the moment have you seen that? <laughs> I haven't Every seen that dog. yet no uh, but I mean it's, 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 it's got it's got the fun fair it's got uh, yeah. you know you've got ice cream parlours Beautiful walks You've got a very good chipper, uh, beautiful walks. You've got the sea Temple views, Burigi, all the marinas. It's got a credit goat. union, Lynch's Centra. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. some, some of the nicer pubs around. Uh, I know Cronin's yeah. is still open. Uh, yeah. I know that uh, Fitzy's is closed, but Buckley's remains open. The uh, Anchor Bar, the, the, the an- seafood. The yeah. Anchor Bar and uh, the Ore and uh, yes. the, the other one. The Drake. Um, the, the Drake, Drake. yeah. yeah. The local councillor, um, Sean O'Donovan, actually has that. That's beautiful. It's all renovated. And we have, now we have the Safari, we have um, the Ocean the Cruise Line, so we have different um, uh, boats in and out of the pier, and I'm working with Cork County Council and the Port of Cork to get a an amenity pontoon from the Yukovny Pier so that we can have more day trippers actually come in because um, uh, on smaller boats and that and come in and have their lunch etc like they do in Cove and Whitegate you know. Yeah that, that's, that's that. an amazing facility and I know it's run yeah. by the Port of Cork but it's very ably uh, curated and managed uh, is, yeah. by, by Kieran Canary 
that's correct. And yeah, I, think, yeah. I, th- I think it's very cruel they call it Canary Wharf. <laughs> I haven't heard that now and I'm sure he loves that to get a bit of fun but yes he is um, he does a stellar job down there there's no messing with him um, and he thought he would be all for this immunity pontine as well uh, so it's great to have all that support we're very fortunate because there's a great community here and many people want to move and live in within the community I lived in America for 20 years and moving back here to have my family because you know they're known in the locality they're local schools they can walk and it, we still have that community feel here so um, yeah we're very fortunate I, I know that you know yeah um, so. uh, Kieran, Kieran is a legend uh, really in his own press release now he's he's the guy who drove Rod Stewart around the harbour that time that we uh, had to give him he some did. hospitality and took him to the Royal Cork uh, yes. so look it's, it's all happening in Crosshaven let's hope it that is. Fort Mar opens uh, I'm sure you'll come back to us if there's any more clarity on, on, on I that would, I will well hopefully after Monday and the Southern Committee meeting um, look Camden really Mar is the icing on the cake for us We've had amazing new walks here. Have you been up to the new Moog of the basketball court up in the top as well? So, um, you know, we have it all here, but we just need the fort up and running so that we can host uh, events there and uh, open it to the public. Yeah, OK. Uh, thanks, thank thanks a million. Aud- Audrey Buckley of Fianna Fáil, thank you very much. Uh, and that brings me quickly but very nicely to a notice I saw about the Lower Ahada Pier Development Group. There's a pontoon public meeting here. Uh, if we lose these pontoons around the harbour, we're losing a lot of tourism flexibility, we're losing access, but the committee of the Lower Ahada Peer Development Group are holding a meeting to discuss the ongoing viability of the pontoon in Laura Had in Cork Harbour. At present, uh, it costs in the region of €5,000 per year to have this wonderful amenity in place. Uh, the meeting is going to take place in the Ahada Community Centre on Thursday next, 11th of May, at half past eight. All are welcome uh, to attend. Uh, I, for one, would be happy to pay uh, an annual subscription there because that is one of the most treasured pontoons and beautiful places to visit uh, in the harbour. Loa had a, and Vincent Mary and Rosie's doing a fine fare all the time. That public meeting on the pontoon happening in a Hadda community centre on Thursday, May 11th. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 106 Red FM. 26 and a half minutes past 10 o'clock. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Sharp Division say the Irish Times exist over gender identity and the use of pronouns in schools and these are revealed in submission uh, submissions to the state's advisory board on the curriculum which is updating how sex education is taught uh, and this has been uh, to light of course in the last six months by the actions and the stand taken by Enoch Burke uh, but uh, newly disclosed submissions show several parents groups have complained about the promotion of transgender ideology to young students while a number of Catholic bodies have insisted that schools must be allowed to teach any updated syllabus only in accordance with theirs, the Catholic ethos. And the Guardi recently, uh, 1st of May, had to be called to remove controversial priests, not my words, uh, Father Sean Sheehy and a group of protesters from the constituency office of Education Minister Norma Foley at a recent rally in Tralee. And Father Sean Sheehy joins me by telephone. Good morning, Father. Good morning to you. Now, can you give me the context of your um, protest at the constituency office of Norma Foley in Tralee? What was that again? Can you give me the context of your protest? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, about a week previously, um, a group of people called to say that they were going to stage a peaceful protest in front of the office in Tralee, um, uh, protesting against this uh, so-called sex education program that the Department of Education is imposing on the schools. 
and uh, asked me if I would like to join. So I said, yeah, I'll think about it. So I thought about it and I thought, look, um, I'm going to go to support these parents who are very concerned about what their children are going to be exposed to. Uh, and uh, I said, look, uh, uh, the, the, the church's job actually is to support parents who are the primary educators of their children and certainly should not uh, have their children exposed to anything that uh, goes against uh, their, their beliefs. And so I went. And when I got there uh, in Tralee, there were about maybe at that time, uh, maybe five or six people there. So the people in the office actually invited us in. And so we went in, and then some of the people who were with me started asking questions. And in the process of their asking questions, then one of the staff members apparently got on the phone. And the next thing, a policeman arrived mm-hmm. and said that they were called. And uh, so we all left. We left the office immediately and went outside and uh, continued the, the uh, protest on the on the street, on the curb. And so more people actually joined than in the meantime. So uh, that's basically the context. Uh, Just just for clarity, I'm I'm reading from the Kerryman here. Uh, It says, uh, the group initially gathered outside the Tralee office before eventually going inside to confront confront the staff. You're you're saying you were invited in. That's a lie. That's a total lie. You know, because whoever wrote that for the Kerryman certainly never contacted me. I I don't know if they contacted anybody else or not. That's not true. We were actually invited into the office because immediately we were outside. That's where the protest was supposed to take place, outside the office. And we were invited in. And as soon as people started asking questions, <laughs> then uh, one of the staff members got on the phone. I might also say that none of the staff members answered any question or made any attempt to answer any question whatsoever. And so immediately when the policeman came, everybody went outside because it was a peaceful protest mm-hmm. in front, of, in front of, uh, of the office. And it continued there for, for about an hour and there were certainly no altercations. There were a couple of policemen across the, the, the street. Uh, they said that they were there just to make sure that people were not, um, uh, didn't have to walk off the curb, but you know, onto onto the busy street, which was fine. And and it went on. There were a number of younger younger family, I mean, mothers there actually who who protested because they uh, because what their children were exposed to whatnot. So it was a perfectly peaceful uh, protest. Can, can I ask, was it an angry protest? Once again, the, car- the, the carry man is saying no. that protesters continue no. to express anger at the teaching of what they claim is explicit sex education in primary schools. Look, there, there's, a, there's a big difference between uh, expressing your belief strongly and anger. There was no anger there whatsoever. I saw no anger there whatsoever. I saw nobody actually expressing anger or hatred or anything like that. They're just simply protesting uh, that this Minister for Education is allowing this stuff to be imposed on their children without any contact with the parents. Uh, Also, they're imposing stuff on children that's way beyond uh, where they are in terms of their, their growth stage, in terms of their psychosocial development. And so parents, of course, have a perfect right to protect their children. Well, what, the, so what, what, what is the Catholic Church's ethos on the teaching of sex education to children and how has it changed well, in the last well, few years? Of all, first, well, first of all, first of all the, when parents are the primary educators of their children. They, they're the ones who, who should be educating their children in sexuality, not, not, not the schools. Uh, when, it, when it comes to morality, that's the job of the church, not the government. 
And it seems to me here that the government is taking on the role of the church, which is, to te- which is moral education, and also taking on the role of the parents, which is, which is to educate their children in sexuality. That's their job. Wouldn't you think that parents have, have the primary responsibility in teaching morals to their children rather than the church? Well, if they're Catholics, then obviously that's the whole purpose of, of, of Catholicism, isn't it? So that people uh, can know uh, what they should be teaching their children in terms of Christian morality. I mean, the church actually is the voice of Jesus Christ. And so even, and even we see Pope Francis, for example, con- condemning uh, transgenderism and, and abortion and all the rest of those things that are totally contrary to the law of nature, contrary to the law of God, even contrary to even people who have no religious faith see that this whole thing is totally irrational. I mean, when I look at material that says basically uh, junior cycles, for example, uh, students should be taught about drag queens and uh, cross-dressers and um, all the rest of that stuff, that's absolutely crazy in the, at their particular stage of growth. But dra- drag goes back to William Shakespeare. That's, uh, that's where well, that term... forget about it. No, William Shakespeare, my foot. Don't be giving me that kind of stuff at all. This stuff is not play-acting. This stuff is, is basically trying to, trying to actually corrupt the, 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 the morality of young people. It's actually an abuse of sexuality. It's also totally contrary to Christianity. You know, when you go back, for example, they ought to read, for example, the, the Holy Spirit, what, what he reveals, you know, through St. Paul in the sixth chapter of, of 1 Corinthians, you know, where Paul says, oh, yeah, he says, people say everything is lawful for me, but that does not mean anything is good for me. Everything is lawful for me, but I will not let myself be enslaved by anything that is destructive, and my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian, that's the Catholic belief, that's the Catholic teaching. Okay, what I was referring to was uh, back in time, in William Shakespeare's time, a misogynistic time, uh, women were not allowed to be actors on stage. And of course, Shakespeare made his, made his fame uh, through writing plays that were enacted that, on stage. Look, look, that, that, look excuse me one second. W- women were not allowed to act. But no, and, and don't, so, don't give me that. And so Please he, don't give me this stuff about what women were allowed. What, that has nothing to do with what the issue we're talking about. The issue we're talking about is exposing children to immorality in the school, where the schools are no longer educational institutions, but indoctrination institutions, imposing a government LGBT-driven agenda. That is, that's whose goal is to undermine the family, undermine morality, and ultimately shut down the voice of the church, which is the only countercultural voice that exists today. That's okay, the goal. Okay. J- just to give our listeners context, Father Sean Sheehy, uh, in, in, in your stance here, you were, of course, uh, the priest who gave uh, a much criticised uh, by some, uh, lauded by some, sermon uh, was it in Castle Gregory where uh, certain no, things... No, it was in the stone. In, in the stone, I beg your pardon. Uh, a lot of the congregation walked out. You uh, uh, irked the only, only, seven, only seven people walked out. Seven, seven. okay. Okay, happy, right. to, happy to have that clarified. And, uh, that, and let, me say, let, me, let me add this. That was actually the third Mass that I celebrated that same weekend. Nobody walked out in the first two Masses. It was not until the 11.30 when these people walked out. And actually, some people told me themselves that the whole thing was staged as well. Okay. Staged by members of the Green Party, staged by members of the LGBT uh, agenda as well. Okay. Do you want to give us the context or, or, or a synopsis of, uh, of your sermon? I do, yeah. My, my sermon basically, ironically, ironically, my sermon was based actually on the importance of forgiveness. And, and I said, in order to be forgiven, 
because the whole the whole gospel was about Zacchaeus, you know, who who actually was called by Jesus and told, "Look, I'm going to visit you this day," and and then Zacchaeus, who actually was receptive to Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, admitted his sinfulness and made restitution. He said, if I have defrauded anybody, I give half my goods and so on and so forth. And so Zacchaeus was joyful. And I said, why do you think Zacchaeus was so joyful? He was joyful because he had repented and he had received forgiveness. And then I went on to say, but to, to be forgiven, and uh, we need to repent. You must but repent. To repent. But to repent, we need to be, identify our sin. And and to said, repent, you, you must be truly sorry. Well, uh, of course you must be truly sorry, but you can't repent or you won't repent unless you identify the sin. And I said, that's the problem in, in today's world, that, that the sin is not talked about. So people don't even know what is a sin and what is not a sin. And I said, the sad part about it is that in Ireland today, as in other countries as well, sin is actually enshrined in the legislation in such things as abortion, same-sex marriage, the promotion of transgenderism, handing out condoms to, to teenagers on the streets. I said, that's promoting sinfulness. But the Irish people so, voted in a referendum to allow I, and, and to yeah, honour and bless safe-sex marriage. Not, not all of the people voted. And actually, people told me, actually, uh, who, who are focusing again on the whole notion of choice. But the fact is that same-sex marriage totally undermines marriage created by God. Marriage is not the creation of the state. Marriage is creation by God. All the state does is legalize a relationship. It doesn't create marriage. And so, therefore, just because people voted for something does not mean, obviously, they also voted for abortion. That does not mean that it's right, because what is legal is not necessarily what is moral, and we know that. So, anyway, just to answer your question, I said, look, we need to be able to admit our sin. And I said, that's why we begin every Mass by admitting we are sinners. And I said, Jesus came actually to call sinners. He didn't come to call the people who thought they had no sin or who were self-righteous or who thought they were perfect. And I said, we're all sinners. I said, including myself. I said, we need, we, and we need the Lord. We need the Savior. But we also need to be able to identify the sin. And I said, that's the biggest problem in the world today. Okay, and I, said, I, 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 I imagine that the Ten Commandments to which you so strictly adhere... Uh, and, and let's so be what honest. Do you mean so strictly? So strictly. That's what God says. Of course, I strictly adhere to the Ten Commandments. Okay. That's what God says. Uh, okay. Don't, don't so, minimize. Don't minimize what God says. I, I'm not minimizing anything. I'm, I'm mindful of the Latin phrase "extra ecclesium nulla salus," and I'm sure you would agree. That in your opinion, anyway, uh, there is no salvation outside the church. But what you're actually well, asking? Well, but, you, but no, hold on. I was saying. You see. I, it seems to me like many people don't even understand the, the, the full implications there. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And actually, nobody comes to the Father except through a relationship with him. A relationship with Jesus Christ actually means that that person belongs to the body of Christ. And so nobody goes to heaven except through Jesus, and nobody uh, goes uh, through Jesus without a relationship with him. And all those who have a relationship with him, whether formally or informally, belong to the body of Christ. Okay. So that's what the church means when she says, no, outside the church there is no salvation, because outside Jesus Christ there's no salvation. Okay. That's the Christian teaching. 
I, I, I'm not trying to rise you to anger, Father Sheehy, though I know I'm you... Not, you I'm I, not angry. Look, hold on one second. I'm not angry. I'm passionate about what I believe, and I'm passionate about the Church's teaching, and I'm passionate against the irrationality that's being promoted and, and put, pushed into the schools that are no longer educational institutions, but indoctrination institutions. Okay. And that's but, the but, problem today. But, but just to get to the hub of the issue, and I want to walk, uh, I want to uh, move on to the hate, uh, the ahead, hate speech ahead, stuff. Um, what you're expecting the likes of, for instance, because he got involved, uh, Taoiseach, he wasn't Taoiseach at the time, he was tarnished, but now Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, you're, you're expecting him to be truly sorry for being in love. And I would contend love no, is love. That's not love. That's not love. That's not love. It, it is love to Leo Varadkar. That's not love. No, no, no. How can you say it's love? Because God is love. And only what reflects God is really love. That's not, it's not love to, to give in to disordered desires. And same-sex marriage is giving in to disordered desires because God created man and woman to complement each other. Not two men, not two women. And that's, a, that's, the, that's revelation, divine revelation. Now, you can choose to dismiss that, or other people can, but I'll guarantee you this. The day people die, they'll come face to face with the truth, and they will not be able to evade it as, as they try to evade it in this world. And okay, that's, that's you, you're, you're own, your I, own bishop, Bishop Ray Brown, uh, completely disagreed, with, well, not with everything you said, but he said the views you expressed do not represent the Christian, uh, the Christian so, position. So, Bishop Brown, no, listen to this now. I'm glad you brought that up. Because then Bishop Brown says, then, that the Catholic Church does not teach that abortion is a mortal sin, that same-sex marriage is a mortal sin, that transgenderism is a mortal sin. If, if Bishop Brown says that, then Bishop Brown has not read the Catechism. Bishop Brown is not familiar with the Scriptures. And Bishop Brown is not acting out of the Church's authority, but his own. But because, let's, no, let's go up to the top level, then. Pope Francis said... Who are we to judge? The Bible says, Who are we to ju ju judge well, not he, lest you be judged. We are all oh, God's look, children. That's the same old trope. But why, why then, when Pope Francis, who are we to judge? Why did he come out and say that abortion was like hiring a hitman? Why did he say that transgenderism is totally contrary to the law of nature and should be condemned? <laughs> so look, see... People come up with, with, with the, the little things that Pope Francis says just to suit their own agenda. But you have to see the, whole, the full teaching of the church, and that's what matters. My concern is that people go to heaven. I don't want anybody to go to hell. But Nobody. isn't it fully logical, and I'm not trying to, to deny your beliefs, which are obviously strongly held. Isn't, isn't it fully logical that the Taoiseach does not believe that gay people will go to hell for being who they are? Just because a person does not believe they won't go to hell does not guarantee that they won't go to hell. The fact is that Jesus Christ himself said the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that the purpose of sex... Is That's what you believe. The that there, there is no hold proof. No, it's not just, no, hold on. Don't, don't, put, don't just simply say it's purely subjective on my part. It is not. It's the objective teaching of the scriptures and the church. Objective. It's not my belief. That's why I said to people, look, what I said in that homily, I didn't invent it. That's only been the teaching of the church for 2,000 years. But the sad part about it is people haven't heard it. because, And I can understand why. Bishops it's, and priests it's seem obviously, to be It's obviously a message in, in your generation, Father, that was passed down to you by your, your, <laughs> Look, by your all, faithful all parents. Your, and by all the, your no, 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 no. Don't think that it was invented by my parents. Don't it was think passed that it was on invented. to you. No, 
Hold on. Don't think that it was invented by my parents or invented by human beings. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ. This is the teaching of the church. This is the apostolic tradition. This has weathered 2,000 years. It will be there after you, after I'm gone, after you're gone. It will be there to the end of time. Because Jesus said, I will be with my church all days until the end of the world. So the church will continue. So will her teaching. Now it's up to individuals as to whether they believe it or not. But the fact is, Jesus said, if you do not recognize me before others, I will not recognize you before my Father in heaven. So therefore then, and Jesus also said, nobody comes to the Father except through me, so there's no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. So if people don't embrace Jesus Christ and what he teaches, then they're jeopardizing their immortal souls. And I said those words, actually, in front of Norma Foley's office. I said, my greatest concern is that she, because she says she's Catholic, and yet she promotes this stuff that contradicts the teaching of the Catholic Church, that she's jeopardizing her immortal soul. Do, do I don't you, want that to happen do, to Do anybody. you believe the, the Catholic Church and its hierarchy of princes and bishops and monks and nuns and priests and all that have been good custodians of the simple and gentle message of the Galilean carpenter Jesus Christ? Because uh, it's, it's, been, a, say, it's been a bit of a rocky road. When you say, of course it's a rocky road, because there, there are two understandings of the church. There's the church that's perfect in her head, who is Jesus Christ. The church who is perfect in her soul, who is the Holy Spirit. The church who is perfect in her membership, who are the saints. There's also the church that's made up of sinners. But the teaching of the church, though, was not invented by the sinners. The teaching of the church is there to call sinners to repentance seek forgiveness how, and be reconciled how, with God. How, how, many, how many were put to, put to death by burning by, by Thomas More for owning a Bible in their own language? It was, a, it was a mortal sin to own a Bible in anything but Latin. Oh, look, all that stuff. Look, that's all, all, all of that stuff again is simply deflection in your part because it has nothing okay, what, to do what, with the issue. What about the sex, on, about look, the sex scandals has, over, has, over the last it, 50 years? It has, it has, you, it has you, nothing to do. You also trivialised you you the actions of the Magdalene laundries. You said these were overblown well, the by the media. Here, that's another major exaggeration, as I think history will show in time. But the fact is, the issue we're talking about is... The, what the church has taught, continues to teach, and so on, and is not dependent on human beings. It comes directly from Jesus Christ, and that's what matters. That's what the, that's what the bishops have an obligation to preach. That's what the priests have an obligation to preach. That's what the Catholic Church is all about. In other words, what Jesus says is necessary for salvation. And if we don't embrace that, then we risk going to hell, and that's the reality. Okay, but you, you can take my point. I, I was ironically amused over the weekend at people who can't afford to put food on the table, cheering and clapping for a guy going by, by in a multi-million euro gold carriage. Uh, and some people do take exception now to taking lessons in morality and sexual preference and being good and being loved and being able to find love by, by, by the canons of, 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 and, and the dogma of the Catholic Church. The canons and the dogma of the Catholic Church are based on the divine revelation given to the apostles by Jesus Christ. So, and that's independent of, of any bishop, any pope, any priest. But the pope and the bishops and the priests take, took an oath to hand on that teaching of Jesus Christ. In, its all, in, a, in all of its integrity and all of its authenticity. And because it's only that that constitutes the truth. Jesus himself said, I am the truth. There is no other truth. And that's the fact. 
Okay, and it's still and always will be a male-dominated hierarchy of princes and bishops because and that kind of thing. Because is it, isn't that misogynistic? But, but let, me, let, me, let me explain this to you. Look, Jesus Christ identified his relationship with the church as that of a bridegroom and a bride. The bishop and the priest, by ordination, are conformed to Jesus Christ. And that means then that the bishop and the priest actually in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, are, are the, groom, the, the bridegroom. The church is the bride. So, for example, in a, in a parish or in a diocese, in a diocese, the bishop is the bridegroom. The diocese is the bride. In a parish, the parish priest is the bridegroom. The, the parish is the bride. Now, if a woman was ordained, then she could not fulfill that role of bridegroom. So therefore, she would not be able to ensure that the relationship of the priesthood and the, the church would be what was revealed by Jesus Christ. Okay. So it's not, uh, it's not, it's not against women. It has nothing to do with against women. It doesn't demean women. This is the way Jesus set up his church, and this is the relationship he has with her. Okay. Uh, I have a caller uh, that was reared by two gay men. He would like to make a contribution, but I don't want to hijack you. Um, it, it, we can bring him on if you want. I want to ask you one more question. How, how would that simple Galilean carpenter, with let's be let's be fair, uh, a very good and decent message about how to live your life well, how to treat others well? <laughs> how 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 would he relate to the trappings of wealth, uh, the art collection, the gold, the vestiges uh, of of Saint Peter's, and, and and the property that the church holds around the world, which will never it'll never be diluted as long as you don't let women in. By the way. This is the same old stuff that has been aimed at the church over the last 2,000 years. Same old junk that people use in an attempt to undermine the authority of the church to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. But the, the, the authority of the church ha- has, on, on the recent genera- uh, generational watches, uh, been diluted by your own hand. No, it has not. The, the authority of the church has not been diluted by our own hand. The authority of the church comes directly from Jesus Christ. Just because some representatives of the church sinned or committed heinous sins, that does not dilute the authority of the church. Okay, I mean, I... let's face it, Judas, Judas betrayed Jesus. Did, did that dilute the authority of the apostles? Of course not. Okay, can I bring Edward in here for a quick comment? Edward? Yeah, sure, oh. sure. Um, I don't know. I don't even know where to start here. Look, uh, firstly, anyway, I was, as I said to your, your team when they called me, practically raised. I was pretty much raised by two gay men um, since, like, late childhood. You're talking, you know, anywhere between eight upwards, really. I'm, I'm nearly 33. Um, very good moral compass. I have children myself. Um, I, they helped me get my business, that, that, where it is now, up and running. Um just a few comments made there, just that I just, I'm just kind of like, what? Like, even saying the Magdalene Laundries, all that was wildly exaggerated. I mean, history would say the opposite, um, and the evidence... No, 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 the, the, opposite. His, the history you're talking about there is actually manufactured history, a lot of it is. Oh, it's manufactured, yeah. So it's yeah, manufactured it is, it is, it is, it is. It is. All, it is. All and then this is systemic... That, there's, there's, no, there's no foundation at all for that statement about the babies, nothing. Nothing. No, Show me a genuine study that actually proves that. You cannot. Study, you don't need to study. There's callers on most radio oh, get stations off. in Ireland. People can, call yeah, about, yeah. people can call about anything. People can call about anything. People can make all kinds of allegations. Look, 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 right? You're, you're talking about the, the word of God and all, and all this carry on. I mean, look. That, exactly. That's and this is the truth. 
and uh, that's the truth. That's the Muslim truth as well. That's the Hindu truth. No, that's it's not the Muslim truth. truth. No, no, no. It's, it's, that's it's okay, guys. Father Sean, can we get one at a time, please? Just settle down. Just one, one at a time. Just, just leave. Just leave Edward speak. Do you know what I mean? Like, look, I mean. Sin and all, all this carry out. Like I mean, look, I, I, like when when did Father Sean realise he was attracted to women? That's the question I would put out there. I was attracted. Sorry, you were told by the Catholic Church, not Jesus or not any scripture, that you couldn't be married because that's not that true. Is, no, that's not. That is not true. You see, that, that well, is so stupid. That is so what, stupid. That is not the truth at all. I made the choice. I made the choice myself. I made the choice myself because I want to devote my life to God. That was my choice. Well, sure. And the Catholic Church well, sure. says that's the sure, discipline, sure. so I accept that. Well, why, why can't there be a Mrs. Father Sean or a Mr. Father Sean? Why, why not? Because, 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 see, again, you, you, don't, have you, don't even... you can have a Jesus buddy then to go through life with. Why can't you do that? You... <laughs> Father Sean and Edward, take, take, take a collective breath. I need to take a commercial break. I, look, we, we, have, we have three look, minutes look. left. Will you both hold on? I'll be back Let in one minute. Look. And, this, and this is a this is a totally Father Sean settle down. They have to run out of direction. They have to run out. I'm settled down. I'm settled down. Okay, please hold, guys. I'll be back in one minute. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Father Sean Sheehy's still with us and Edward. We have three minutes left, guys. And you want to make your final wrap-up points. Edward first, and please let him speak, Father Sean, if you will. Look, I mean, look, Father Sean, look, you're a passionate man. That's fair enough. But at the end of the day, in the name of Jesus Christ, how many lives were asked? How many children's innocence were stolen by the Catholic Church? You know, I mean, like, like it's not, this is not, this is not a conspiracy. Uh, and you can uh, look. I, I, if our country was invaded in the morning, Father Sean, right? And they told you, the invaders told you that you couldn't practice the passion and that you have for your religion. I'd be the first to fight on your behalf, regardless of my belief of it or not. But the Catholic Church needs to get as far away from this, the running of this country as possible. They have done enough damage. And they're, like, look, you can deny it and say everything's exaggerated. There is broken women and destroyed families through generations as a result of the Catholic Church. And you don't need an investigation to do that. It's on every street corner in the country. It's that simple. All right, right? Father Sean. I mean, that, that is the most, how would I put it, um, biased uh, expression that I have ever had. And it's also the most ridiculous because it is totally untrue. Totally untrue. The, I mean, if it weren't for the Catholic Church in Ireland, for example, where would, where would the schools be? Where would the hospitals be? Would you please listen? Would you please listen? Let him speak, please. Would you please listen? Where would the hospitals, where would the schools be? Where, where for example, were the, the, the poor people who were kicked out by their parents because they were pregnant? Where would they go? There'd be nowhere if it weren't for the nuns and if it weren't for the, for the brothers and if it weren't for the priests. So don't tell me about the Catholic Church that ruined this country. No, it has not at all. I'm going to hang up if this guy keeps butting in because I didn't butt in when he talked. Yeah, just let him speak, please, Edward. 
screaming about here again because the guy has no solid foundation for his beliefs because his beliefs are based are based are based, are based on are based on hearsay are based actually on this old trope that's used again in an attempt to undermine the the, the Catholic Church. Look at the country today. Is the country today better off than it was? You know when people really had faith. Absolutely not. Look at the number of suicides that are taking place in the country. Look at the amount of depression. Look at the study that shows, for example, that young women from 14 to 25 have the highest rate of depression in Europe. What is that caused by? It is caused by a lack of faith, and it's caused by a deviation from the teaching of the church, which is that of Jesus. Father Christ. Sheehy, I have to go, I have to go to news. I would love to invite you, you to come. Thank can you, you very much. Can you come back to us after eleven? Do you want to say any more? No, like I won't be you. here. No, I, I won't no, be here. Thank no, you. No problem. Thank you for coming on the program this morning. And You're news, welcome. Thank news, you very much. News at eleven next. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. One more, could you? need join me weekdays from four dave max drive the neil prenderville show red fm uh, we have an ocean of text coming in following the previous interview and i could not physically get uh, to all the questions i wanted to ask for the show and he wasn't available after 11 uh, he's one to talk about morality and sexual preference ask him where he stands on clerical sexual abuse that priest is a hypocrite boils my blood he does it's him and cohorts who ruined their own church uh, they're worse than anyone, says John in Cove. All we want is to be married. Uh, they said that when they advocated for a yes vote, I knew it wouldn't be enough and I was right. It's the same with abortion. They'll nearly allow it up to seven months in. Uh, if we knew this, then uh, that would lead to that it would lead to transgender people, unfit teaching to children. There's no way that either referendum would have been successful. If only the genie could be put back in the bottle. I mean, men identify as, as women in MMA mixed martial arts. Come on, that's just uh, a woman beating man end of uh, says Bobby thanks Bobby I love uh, a bit of a good comedy in the morning uh, why in the name of God do you give this man airtime? I can't understand it because he's an over Trump hello oh for God's sake get him off I'm switching how can the Roman Catholic Church be the body of Jesus Christ when Jewish uh, was Jewish not a Christian when Jesus was Jewish not a Christian uh, says Pat oh my God that priest uh, is exasperating and so brazen he's trying to shove his beliefs down people's throats with his Dickensian opinions what a, what a cheek and not worth airspace this is Jesus here uh, t- tell him his job is gone and cop on this is Oscar winning stuff said uh, another texter although a bit eccentric father is making some good points in perspective in the years past it's just become normalised uh, as it is uncontrollable uh, the fear is being cancelled or put in the spotlight for simply speaking your mind and that is ridiculous and we've dozens of more texts uh, to get to on the subject but the main business of the programme of course is your calls and comments and we're back to them now Tony good morning good morning Neil how are you? Uh, good it's Mick actually uh, you were glad that he was, uh, he was not your local priest yeah, it's just the fact that, like, uh, obviously, like, I grew up in the 90s where it's like Catholic education was still strong in primary, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, obviously, we have to stand there every day, every time the priest come in, you have to stand up, you have to recite a couple of prayers every now and again. It's just that man boys my absolute blood. It's not the opinion of normal society. Okay, so you were raised a Catholic, but you were, is what you're saying you were thought a different sort of a catechism than, uh, yeah. than, than Father Sheehy? Because. You know, yeah. th- things things evolve. If you look at the American Constitution, which has had several amendments, it's about 300, 250 years old only, uh, and that needs to evolve to uh, reflect the changes in society. Now, one of the ones that they're protecting mes- with messianic devotion, pardon the pun, is the Second Amendment. 
you know, and the yeah. found, founding fathers there, you know, there was pop guns at the time and you needed one to defend yourself. Uh, and that there wasn't sub, sub, you know, automatic weapons and, uh, and all that sort of thing. So uh, that's one that probably needs changing but will never be changed. The Ten Commandments, uh, in yeah. contrast, are two millennia old and seem to be very rigid in their application by certain members of the church. Yeah, exactly. Like, like morality has changed over the last 2,000 years. Do you know? Yeah, it's, not, it's not, just, not the best phone line, Tony. I'm finding it very hard to hear you. But carry on. Sorry. It's just, morality has changed over the last 2,000 years. Like, 2,000 years ago, it was okay to, you know, uh, punish, it was okay to, I don't know, stone somebody just because they did something wrong or, you know, and up, we didn't... Oh, God, I'm losing my train of thought here. It's just... You just and... You know, uh... no, I'm losing you there. Uh, th- thanks anyway. I think we got the gist of your message, Tony. On line two is Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Hi. Good morning, Mick. Hi. Hi. The Ten Commandments you want to refer back to? That's exactly it. You know, I just want to say good morning to Father Sheehy as well. And just, <clears throat> my God, he just got so hyper, just calmed down. That's what it boils down to. I, 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 I said, Father, I'm not trying to rise you to anger, but he seems to be very easily... Uh, angry? My God. I mean, no wonder people... I certainly wouldn't want to go into Mass with him on Sunday, shouting and roaring and just calm down. You know, the priests we have, I won't say where I am, they're just lovely and calm. And the one thing, you know, even last Sunday on Mass, the one thing that, that really came across was, be kind, be kind. There's nothing in the Ten Commandments to me. That's what it all boils down to. Follow those commandments, and if you can, you know. The, it's, there's you know, nothing in the Ten Commandments perfect. to there's you. Nothing to say. Thou shall not be gay. Okay. I mean, my God, I'm shocked. It's awful, and I feel really, really, <clears throat> really sorry for him. Really sorry for him with with his beliefs, and you know, it's sad. It's 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 saddened me to think that there is that there's still people out there. Be nice. Be kind. There's nothing to say that nobody should be gay, you know, and if 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 there's a question when you go up there to St. Peter, you know, it'll be, well, follow the Ten Commandments best I could, so that's, that's what I was told to do. And that, that, I wonder how many people remember the Ten Commandments from, from their education. I, 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 I was educated in the Catholic school, and, and you know, they, they were referred to now and again. Uh, thou shall yeah, and, thou, yeah. You'll have no other gods before me, okay? That's fair enough. That means uh, I'm the man, nobody else. Um, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Uh, I think that, that kill, you know they're 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 pretty they're pretty basic. But I think if if people just try try to follow those, in, in, and I mean the majority of people are doing that anyway. You know you don't have to be Catholic, you don't have to be a religious person to do that. But that to me is what it all. So, some of them, to be fair, make the utmost sense right now, especially yeah. honor your father and mother. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, the central yeah, tenet of, of of living a good life. Thou shalt not kill. I don't think he meant yeah. fish there, but uh, that uh, thou, yeah. shalt not, thou, thou shalt not kill each other. Thou shalt not commit yeah. adultery. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and thou yeah, shalt yeah, not yeah. steal, because everyone hates being stolen from. And exactly. they, they, like, they still ring true today. Where does it say thou shalt not be gay? You know, that that's he's missing for me. He's missing the, the point. He's missing that. That's key for me in life. Those Ten Commandments. I could be all wrong. Who knows? Um, but to me, that's key, you know, and who, whatever happened in the Catholic Church in the past, they'll all meet their maker too, you know, and that's it. Yeah, everybody so ha- everybody does. has a right to, to express their religious b- beliefs 100%, freely. 100%, I just feel so sorry for him. I, I, I do, my heart is broken for him that, that he's that strong in his, on his beliefs and opinions, but, you know... 
yeah. hopefully now this might this might waken him up to some other ideas. <clears throat> do, do you agree then with, uh, he said it as Tony, but he's now Taoiseach, of course, Leo Varadkar said he does not believe any gay people will go to hell for being who they are. Uh, nor, nor does he believe no, that any man no. or woman can make such a judgment no. or interpretation, no. I suppose. 100% no. No, 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 no. No, definitely not. Definitely not. No. So whatever your sexual preference, preference or orientation or gender identity, uh, and that's another topic, of course, uh, mm-hmm. as long as you're good, do, do you think exactly. you can find your way to heaven if a heaven exists? From there. I sure do. I a hundred percent I do. And I mean I, I've had I've had lovely experiences with, with religion, just my own personal journey. But you know, I as I said I'm a practicing Catholic, but I'm not a holy Joe or anything. But yeah. and, and um, I am not in any way trying to offend anyone who has a faith who yeah. has found yeah, exactly. solace in the teachings of yeah. Jesus or, or who yeah. who has great hopes for a future eternal afterlife through these teachings and who may yeah. at their end of days find great comfort in those teachings. Uh, not for a moment am I, tr- am I trying to belittle any of that, yes, but, you know, I have to yeah, yeah. also, I can't, can Each I, it's the, it's the wrong phrase, I have to be the devil's advocate uh, when, yeah. when, when it comes to creating a, a balanced interview and, and it, it just got a little 100%. bit more unbalanced and we were going yeah. nowhere, only, only higher in volume. But I do also this, respect yeah. that a man of his age, I believe he's in his 80s, uh, is very fastidiously uh, sticking to what he was handed down, and Absolutely. and and, and it's, that's it's why I feel sad for him. very much like mm-hmm. Enoch Burke. He's he's seen as the defender of the faith, really. Yes, yes, but hopefully there's there's still there's still enough time for him to change change his opinions. All right, Joanne, thank thoughts. you very much. Now, Mick, I'm heading for a cup of tea. <laughs> See you. Thank you. You deserve it. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. Bye bye, James. Good morning. Hi, James. Good morning. Hi. Hello, Mick. Hi. You're a practicing Catholic. Yes, yes, I was listening to Father Shee. I would agree with a lot of what he says. Uh, I'm looking today, I was reading the other day, a psychologist, uh, a psychotherapist actually, is dealing with uh, young people, and he said he's dealing now with more children than he used to deal with before. Nine and ten-year-olds coming to him with parents who are very worried because they're self-harming, they're depressed, they're suffering anxiety. Now, when I was that age myself... Growing up under the Catholic Church, I wouldn't have known the meaning of the word anxiety. I wouldn't have been able to spell it, Mick. I wasn't having panic attacks. I was having a very, very good, poor, innocent childhood on the north side. Okay. And society today, for so, and we're all to blame, is determined not to let have children have that small little window of innocence. We're determined not to let them have that. We want to load them with information, information which they're not mature enough, their brains haven't formed enough to take in this tsunami of information that's coming at them. Okay, and in, we want in, to in, in, in my day, James, the, the birds and the bees, you know, it was kind of in the bike shed where, where, where people were whispering, did you hear about this and do you hear what happens here? Uh, and, then, and then probably after you got the, you know, your, your peers saying, I, I know a bit more than you. Yeah, you you yeah. get you get the official booklet, or you get you yeah. get the talk. The talk they right used up, to call it for a while. Yeah. Uh, now, right up now, to twelve, uh, Mick, I wouldn't have known anything about anything. Now, now, there, was, now there's pornography on phone on phones, James, and and kids have instant access to all the information they want. Yes, yes, and, that's, and that's I, what we. I'd be the that's first to allow it to happen. That's where we allow people like Mr. Zuckerberg to alter society. And we let it happen. I'd be the first to champion that children should be allowed to be children for as long as they are children. And, yes, and, yes, and, and I think, to a certain extent, the age of reason is thirteen, is it, or twelve? 
Well, yes, around that, I suppose, yes. And that's what Father Sheehy, he wants for children. He wants them to have that small period. We know very well, whatever happens in children's childhood, if it's disrupted in any way, abused or anything, it causes desperate long-term problems. Yes, if, a person, if a child has an unhappy childhood. There are ripple effects that, that continue throughout life. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, the idea, for example, he was saying there that drag queens coming into primary schools. What business have drag queens uh, coming into primary schools when that comes under the heading of adult entertainment, Mick? That's okay to have them in panty bar on a Saturday night, and if the audience wants to go to see them, well and good. But they have no business inside in uh, children's schools, uh, Mick. Yeah, I was, no? I was trying to explain to Father Sheehan where, where the term drag queen came from, but he, yes, thought, I know he, he, he thought I was being facetious. Back in William Shakespeare, I'll just quickly explain, back in William Shakespeare's day, women were not allowed to act on stage. So men would have to dress up as women and in the in the footnotes or in the sidelines of the script uh, William Shakespeare would put D-R-A-G dre- dressed as a girl. And that's what I was trying to explain where the term came from. But yes, uh, yes. Well, of course, it's, it's evolved now to a different uh, entertainment, uh, uh, Mick. You know, as I said, that's where it belongs in a uh, gay bar on a Saturday night with adults. But not with, uh, they have, there's only one person should be talking to children in schools, and that is the teacher, and no one else. It's an entirely different topic, James, but yes. uh, uh, and it's a very sensitive one. But, but one I, other I, thing, if you don't mind, make one other thing, and this gentleman and uh, many others, like the young gentleman who's taking on there, decrying the Catholic Church, and Father Shee was right. Back in the day, uh, when the, uh, the, the, the religious uh, built all the hospitals in this um, uh, city. Uh, there was no waiting list. There was no elderly people on chairs. They were run efficiently. We also, of course, there would have been no education without the Catholic Church because the British did not want us to be educated because they knew that would be very dangerous. If you have your p- people who are colonized becoming educated, they get bad ideas of becoming independent. And as the Catholic Church is legacy alone for education uh, is, is amazing, is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. I was educated by the, by the religious myself, and uh, that is one of their legacies. The hospitals is one of their legacies. And talking about their wealth, their, uh, the amount of uh, money they spend in Africa. I was only looking at a program last night about uh, a nun and a priest who were out in Africa, missionary priest, building schools there, educating children in South Sudan, where they know some of them are going to university. But they have one of the hope without that, without the Catholic Church. Okay, you, you, yeah. say, you said you weren't anxious in, in your education. Now, it didn't happen too often, but I felt anxious when I was being caned by a sadist for, for looking out the window uh, in, in, in the Christian Brothers. It didn't happen too often, as I'll say. But these wonderful institutions, as they were, I think the best of the Catholic Church was probably uh, in, in the rock masses and uh, around the time of the famine when absolute suppression of Catholicism well, like, was voiced. Uh, right I, got, I got caned by as many lay teachers as I did religious, <laughs> and some of those uh, lay teachers were married men with children themselves. Yeah, it, and one last thing, Mick, one last thing regarding... The nuns, because I, I have a great time for the nuns, because a lot of my mother's cousins were nuns. They were all presentation sisters. They had nothing to do with Magdalene Laundries. But if you think of it, today, when we had an opportunity some time ago on the abortion referendum, and 1.4 million people voted, walked in, struck with a pencil to take away the right to life for the unborn. And since that has happened, about 20,000 unborn have been terminated. Now, the alternative the nuns put forward all those years ago was have children adopted. Which is the more humane solution, Mick? Have 20,000 aborted or have children adopted? 
Yes, but it's, my... the, the other option, which wasn't explored because of the stigma and the dogma attached to families by the Catholic Church, was that people would be allowed by their God to love their children, and I'm sure they were tearing out their heartstrings to do, uh, to keep, I know, but there was too much shame attached, uh, to keep the pregnant girl in the house and to raise the child themselves. That would be an inherently better option uh, than, than, you know, the schools. And let's not get into the whole... Magdalene Laundry's thing. No, no. But uh, the, the, the thing is, uh, Mick, if a parent turns against their child when they're in trouble, they're a very bad parent indeed. Nothing should stop you uh, keeping your grandchild. No priest, no guard. You should be able to lay down your life for your child. And if your daughter became pregnant in those days, like it is today, you would never turn against her. You were some bad parent if you did. That's you the power a, the Catholic Church had on people's minds. Oh, no, no, you can't be blaming the Catholic Church for telling us. Well, where else did the the shame come from? Where where else was the love uh, evicted by shame? But but the thing is, it was not alone in Ireland, but it was also in England. England was the same, even though it wasn't a Catholic country. Children were put up for adoption because society... Yes, the society and the neighbours, but you shouldn't worry about neighbours. You shouldn't worry about anyone when you have a daughter who's in trouble. You should take, you should lay down your life for them. Not worry about the neighbours, but people did. They took the neighbours were more important than their daughter. They turned against their daughter. And anyone who turns against their own child when they're in trouble is a desperately bad parent. Okay. You should have no business being a parent. You should, you should say, guards, priests, no, don't come near me. I'm keeping my grandchild. That is it. And no one will t- t- take my d- daughter away. That's what a proper parent should do. Okay. And if you didn't do that, then you were a bad parent. All right, James. Thanks very much. Very, very heartfelt Bye. contribution. And uh, thank you for it. At 25 past 11. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. 27 and a half minutes past 11. Good morning. Taking a lot of criticism on the uh, interview with uh, Father Sean, attacking the priest on Catholic teaching. For shame, Mick, can't wait to hear you interview an imam on the teachings of Islam. Uh, you realise they have the same dogma, the same sex relationships. You asked him on to attack him, uh, which I didn't. None of this is new to you. You're a disgrace. Uh, another one of all the people with relevant opinions that could talk on the topic of gender pronouns in our school. From both sides of the conversation, I struggle with the fact that you chose Father Sean and gave him airtime just to sensationalise uh, the topic. I'm less and less in agreement with the ethos of Red FM. We brought him on to talk about his um, attendance at the minister, at Minister Norma Foley's, uh, Education Minister Norma Foley's office in Tralee uh, to clarify certain things that were said in the Kerryman and uh, certainly the, the conversation went off on a tangent uh, and I tried to bring it back to more nuanced, uh, shall we say, levels of volume, but uh, that didn't happen. Uh, and uh, we were to talk principally on the um, hate speech bill uh, which is making its way through the uh, higher offices of the government. And on that topic, we'll stick uh, with Senator Ronan Mullen. Good morning, Senator. Thank you for holding. Good morning, Mick. You've, you've heard the previous discussion and the many rabbit holes we went down. I, I'm, afra- I'm, afra- I'm afraid I didn't. Uh, <laughs> a friend held the phone for me in the office because I'm uh, juggling a few different things here today. But I gather you've been having a lively discussion and hearing different points of view. And uh, that's a very healthy thing to start with. Absolutely. And, and opinions on it are going to be polarised. I'm seen now as victimising a, you know, a steadfast Catholic priest when 
it, it, it just took its own direction. A few, a few, you know what's interesting, and, and this is a starting point because I'm on to talk about the hate bill, obviously, yes. and the hate speech issues, which I think are of concern to many people of different points of view. But a few months ago, and I'm sorry now to be criticising a, a local boy, but the then uh, Tornish, the Michal Martin, uh, sorry, the then Taoiseach Michal Martin, uh, was critical of the Joe Duffy Liveline programme. There was a different point of view being expressed about the controversial new area of gender, and there's people worried about for example, young girls having to compete with bi- biological males in sport and the dangers of women in women's prisons being, explo- you know, being predated or preyed on by, by men and by biological males. All sorts of fraught and difficult discussions that need to be aired because there are different points of view. And what Michal Martin at the time warned against was hang- having a big toxic discussion on the airwaves. And I just felt... That's not appropriate from a guy in his position to be trying to close down public debate where people have real concerns, provided they're not threatening violence or severe nastiness on each other. We need to hear radically different points of view. And the sign of a genuinely liberal person is that you are willing to listen and allow to be heard the the point of view that you don't like, that you think is nasty or mean-minded. You know, once upon a time, people used to say, I'm like Voltaire, I disagree with what you say, I'll defend to the death your point of view. In our current cancel culture, with sometimes with government collusion, it's starting to sound like, I disagree with what you say and I'll fight to the death to prevent you from saying it. And that's not healthy in a democracy. Okay, and as I alluded to yesterday, I'm not sure this issue would have taken on the media spotlight that it has without the intervention of Donald Trump Jr. and Elon Musk, who came across the legislation uh, and um, in in their own social media, commented on um, its stupidity or its insanity. So let's focus on the bill, what it's trying to achieve, and perhaps you could, as a politician, erstwhile politician, as as a senator, um, convince us that it's not there, as I said yesterday, to protect just the body politic. That it has a greater national good. Yeah, no, I disagree with this bill because what it's doing is it's proposing to replace the 1989 incitement to hatred. Let's agree that we all agree that there are levels of hateful speech that could be dangerous to others and that that should be prohibited. I mean, every reasonable person agrees that there are, there are moments where speech gets so toxic, toxic that it endangers other people. Now, I would argue that everybody should be protected equally from, from, from such dangerous speech. And that is why, for example, we have public order offences of insulting or threatening behaviour, displaying material that's insulting, threatening or abusive and so on. And that's there to protect not just the vulnerable but everybody in our society. Now what the government and indeed other governments are doing, and there seems to be a kind of a push from the centre here, and maybe it's out of fear of social media and the way that it's operating, but it's the close down discussion. So we have a bill that basically criminalises um, hate speech or speech that, it, it, that, in, that incites or could incite uh, hatred or violence. Well, no problem with, 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 with criminalising anything that incites violence. But what incites hatred? So you go looking for a definition of hate, but they don't give it in the bill. They say hatred just means hatred against a group of persons in the state who have protected characteristics. So what they're doing is, basically, they're saying there are certain groups in society and if you say something hateful uh, against, uh, against them on the basis of their race, colour, nationality, religion and this, this controversial new area of gender is being developed because we're talking about sex characteristics and they give a big long definition of this which I haven't seen in law before and which hasn't been discussed and wasn't properly discussed in the Dáil or at all. But you have all of these basically certain groups to be protected against incite, inciting hatred but not defining what hatred is. And in any 
sensible and safe democracy if you're going to be brought before the courts or having the Gardaí knocking on your door and running the risk of a, a, a penalty of up to five years in prison. You have a right to know exactly what it is that you could be accused of. And saying that we are going to criminalise speech uh, or communicating material or behaviour that incites hatred and not defining hatred, that to me is not democratic, it's not safe, it's a, it's a totalitarian type of impulse. And, and, and what, what about holding, we, holding that privately on your phone? If you were caught holding hateful material on your phone with no proof uh, or, or, you know, there's no way you can, your intent to distribute can be gauged, they can't read your mind, uh, you could also be criminalised for that. Yes, they talk about preparing or possessing material that's likely to incite, again, I'm going to mention hate, violence, but that's not our concern, that that's reasonable, but likely to invite, incite hatred um, uh, with a view to the material being communicated to the public or section of the public, but it hasn't been. And what they say is, in that situation, uh, if it's reasonable to assume that the material was not intended for the personal use of the person, then the person has to, they have to do the proving that it was only for their own. Yeah. And the trouble with all of that is, it is the accused person who's being accused of basically what they're thinking of uh, and what they have material about that they suddenly uh, have to do the proving that all of this was only for myself or my own reading or indeed, you know, the problem here is fine if that was drugs or firearms but what you're talking about is criminalising and closing down people's thoughts because we need to be able to have a certain amount of freedom of expression in order to be able to think about issues the danger is when you close down people's right to free expression expression, even and especially the ideas you disagree with, what you're actually doing is you're driving it underground. You're actually fomenting violent and resentful thoughts and eventually behaviour. So I think it's counterproductive. It's wrong in itself. It's anti-democratic. It's, 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 it's a totalitarian, centralising, elitist uh, type of project uh, that basically, you see, as I said recently, it's fine for the likes of myself. I have a brass neck. I'm a politician. I'm able to make my argument and I'm not really afraid of uh, what, what comes against me and of course I have, I have privilege as well for what I say in the Shannon I can't be prosecuted but it's the ordinary person who wants to maybe express a point of view maybe it's not a point of view that you or I would agree with Mick, maybe it's not even nicely expressed, maybe it's even unkind but we, should but, de- we should defend their right to express that opinion and have it evaluated Exactly, and, and, and a vague blunderbuss approach that basically threatens you with prosecution uh, if you're out there inciting hatred. And not just against anybody, by the way. Okay. It's against these certain protected categories. And yeah, but, they but they're, they're, expanding, they're expanding the categories, really. They're, they're defending potential victims by creating much more sets or classes of those who may be victimised. But there are always others. It, the it, it, beg, it begs the question, if hate, and I think we could both agree, Hate is an absolutely hateful topic. Uh, hate is, is not an emotion that anybody should harbour. Uh, yes. But then why are only certain classes of people to be protected and the rest of us not? I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there are, there are grounds, for example, for certain classes of people being protected in employment situations, you know, to prevent discrimination on the basis of race or gender or whatever. We can get that because the market depends on, you know, and there are even exceptions there. Let's say a family need to hire a carer or something like that. They're, inclined to, they're entitled to make a, a distinction based on gender or whatever. But um, generally speaking, yes, it's against Republican principles to be giving protections to certain groups because invariably you leave others out. 
about. Uh, so, for example, there's no mention of the homeless here, and yet there's lots of people that say hateful things about those who are unfortunate enough to be homeless and so on. There's no mention of people who are obese. There's a lot of fat shaming going on in our, in our society. It really, what we should be doing is protecting every citizen and person against dangerous expressions of hatred and putting up with the rest of it, but using public education and our churches and our philosophers and every means at our disposal to try and discourage hateful attitudes in our society, but not the weight of the criminal law, because that is dangerous to people's freedom. Okay, so why are people who believe in science being made into second-class citizens, whereas protected status is granted to those who embrace gender ideology, for example? Well, take that area of gender ideology. There are people that believe that gender, uh, and whatever your belief is fine, but there are people who believe that there are, there are many genders. The, the, the number is climbing by the day. There are people who, 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 who say that it's not binary. You can't break down you know, the human race into male and female and so on. There are other people who feel very strongly that you know, this is a, a scientific basis for the distinction between men and women. And while you have people who are affected by dysphoria and who deserve uh, care and, and connection and, and support, it doesn't mean that you, re- you abandon your ideas about what is true. Now, then come into the space where you have people of different philosophical points of view and various issues to say, hang on a minute, I don't think it's right uh, that uh, um, uh, a woman should have to compete in sport and be... Ex- and for example, take the, the, the Ladies Gaelic Football Association, which has ruled that in over 12 that biological men can participate in, in, in the women's sports there. That has caused huge alarm to people. You'd wonder, what are they thinking of? This is ideology trumping uh, people's safety or the, the, the issue about women's prisons and dangerous biological males who identify as women who threaten violence on women. So what you have is again ideology trumping common sense. Now the people who speak out strongly against that kind of thing are often called haters. You, 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 you frequently see them being accused of, of being haters uh, in, in social media and now one assumes that they will be accused of breaking the law because they're somehow offending a person on the grounds of their membership of a group that has certain um, sex characteristics. And you see, what you have to bear in mind here is what do the guards do at the moment? They, are, they operate a very low threshold. I mean, the, the government admitted that it was, oh, there was only a small um, um, amount of these non-criminal hate incidents happening. I think they said 74 in 2022, or that might be Gardaí figures, actually. Now, within those, uh, we're not talking about criminal acts now here, we're talking about kind of hate speech incidents that the Gardaí investigate. Now, this can be based, according to the Gardaí's guidelines, on if anyone feels that they have experienced prejudice. They're asked to report it. So it's their perception. It might be a true perception in some cases. It might be malicious or frivolous or imagined in others. We don't know. But for these small number of cases of non-criminal expressions of hate, there is this project uh, to um, endanger the free speech of five million citizens. And I don't want mm. uh, anybody, I don't care if they're an ordinary member of the street or, as I said, members of the Oireachtas are protected, and, uh, you know, but I don't think anybody should have a knock on the door from a guard that's saying, you know, you said this on, on your internet stuff. You're not allowed to say that kind of thing. Suddenly, you see, even if they don't end up in jail, the process becomes the punishment. And I think that's the danger behind this bill. It's meant to have a chilling effect. It's meant to get everybody to 
think twice before they express their point of view. Now, sometimes I wish people would think twice before they express their point of view. You hear a lot of stupid things said, but in a democracy, you have to be willing to put up with it. And um, that, that is the danger, that this will have a chilling effect on the person maybe who isn't eloquent, who maybe hasn't thought their issues through carefully enough. But I would rather educate or try to educate them through argument. I would rather we had schools you know, teaching values of respect for every person. I would rather we had you know, public good cultural leadership, um, as I said, instead of threatening people with the criminal law or the possibility of being prosecuted. I think this you know, ordinary people who, who maybe have arguments, maybe even that they're not expressing very well, as I said, they should not have to worry about the Gardaí knocking on their door. Okay, you, you know there's a huge transgenderism and woke uh, furore going on over in the United States. Uh, Tampacks were involved, Nike were involved, but it's it's all centering around Anheuser Busch uh, and Bud Light and their. Um, oh yes, this is your man, uh, uh, Dylan, Dylan Mulvaney, Mulvaney. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and as if, and, and I think this is a kind of a comedic attempt to challenge people's perceptions. I'm 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 open for correction on this. I think the guy is Republican. I think the guy is in his 60s. I know the guy is white. I think he's a senator. Open to correction in any of that. So let's just hypothetically say a Republican uh, in his 60s, white senator, came out and identified as a 16-year-old black girl. What was he challenged on? You can't be 16 and you can't be black, but you can be a girl. So I, 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 no, some of the news outlets in America sensationalized this in, in, in that he was being serious and, and poking fun at, at, at people trying to uh, arrive at their own gender ideology and identity. Well, well, I think it was just a kind of a comedic, ironic attempt to say, look, let, let's define what we can define. You can't change your age and you can't change your skin colour, but you can define as a girl if you're a man or a man as you're a girl, if you're a girl or whatever. Uh, but you, you, you can't, for instance, you, you can't identify as a, a Thomas the Tank Engine and expect everyone to take you seriously, even though your right to, to identify as Thomas the Tank Engine must be defended if that's what you want. But just don't expect me to call you Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, there's a guy called Matt Walsh. I think he's, he's a Matt Walsh. He's with the Daily Wire who produced a movie called What is a Woman? And it's very challenging, but it's great watching. And I think it's available. Somebody sent a link to it to me. I don't expect to see it on RTE anytime soon. But he goes out and he challenges these people, for example, who do life-changing uh, physical surgeries, for example, on young girls, you know, re- removing their breasts and all of the rest of us with all of the health and, and psychological consequences. And, you, you know, I I don't go online too much because it wouldn't do you any good, but you don't have to go too far online to find people, uh, you know, defending these life-changing surgeries and pretending that they're a good thing and some kind of liberation for people. Like, there is a real, in my view, toxic ideology out there. I don't know about Dylan Mulvaney. I thought that he had got some uh, commercial um, uh, advertising some beer. uh, Yeah, it was was Bud Light, whose sales and uh, have tanked and, and the, uh, the stock price of Anheuser-Busch is now feeling the backlash yeah, of that. Because I think it was interpreted that they were somehow pushing woke kind of uh, ideology, that they were pushing th- this idea that you can be whatever gender you want and isn't it great and so on and so forth. And look, in all of this, you know, there are people listening uh, and we should always remember this, who, who, who have gender dysphoria and who deserve love and respect. That, that, is, that should never be in doubt. It's the campaigning though within the LGBT plus element of it that is very aggressive and that really wants to get other people to deny reality. And I think that's what has a lot of parents of school-going children worried, uh, 
this may touch on your previous discussion. There, there, there has been some strange stuff coming from the National Council of Curriculum and Curriculum and Assessment. I've seen some of the books, for example, that were kind of recommended in their kind of booklets. Um, they were certainly, they certainly pulled in their horns on the idea that young children in primary school would be taught that gender is a spectrum. But you kind of wonder, like, who are they listening? To? You see, again, this is an issue. You don't get the impression that everybody is being consulted with equally uh, when policy is being made by government these days. You get the impression that there are some in-groups that are well in, let's say, with the ministers, with the Green Party, etc., and whose ideology is starting to kind of filter through in legislation, but without any proper consultation. Now, there does seem to have been pushback from parents and others in the recent consultation on the curriculum for the junior cycle in secondary school. Um, and there's also discussions going on around primary school curriculum and indeed later on there'll be the, the senior cycle in secondary school. There seems to be some evidence that the National Council for Curriculum Assessment pulled in its horns and that they weren't going to be pushing the idea that gender is a spectrum. But I think it's something that people have to be vigilant on because you just get the impression that while the Constitution says that parents are the primary educators, you get the impression that the powers that be aren't really, don't really believe that parents should be the primary educators. And that somehow the state has the business here in pushing certain ideas. Okay, how, how would you craft this new bill, which needs, to be fair, to be uh, some sort of an amendment from the 1989 Section 10 piece uh, because of the proliferation of social media? Now, there some changes are needed. Uh, how, how would you word that bill to, to be more inclusive of all and protective of all? Well, the first thing we have to do is get serious public demand going for changes to this bill because it came through the doll really with very few changes and really rather too quickly for a bill as controversial as that. And one reason I would say is because pe- while the likes of the Irish Council of Civil Liberties you know, said, oh, well, we d- think there should be this, that and other, the other change, they still welcomed the bill and they still seem to kind of have nodded it through relatively favourably. Let's put it this way. They've been very tame. And I've been challenging the likes of the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission and the Irish Council of for civil liberties for being so tame because I think they kind of want the bill to go through and they don't seem to be as worried about the limitations on ordinary people's free expression. So I was pushing them to say to agree and I think they do now agree that this bill should not pass without some kind of definition of hatred. It is absolutely unacceptable to criminalise a person for inciting hatred. However much we might dislike people who incite hatred, it's unacceptable to criminalise them unless you first define hatred. It's fundamental. You have a right to know what you could be accused of by the guards and brought to court over. Okay. Um, I would certainly then say, I would say they're going to need to look at that gender definition again. It seems like they're trying to push through uh, a politically contested vision of what gender is uh, on the back of this legislation. I don't think it needs to be there. I I would like the government to engage in some kind of a conversation about whether we should have protected characteristics in this way or whether we should, you know, define hatred and ensure then that everybody in our society uh, um, enjoys equal protection. So, for example, in the whole area of hate crimes, another section of the bill, right, steps up the seriousness of an offence if there's a kind of a hate motivation behind it, okay? So, let's say you commit an assault, but if you commit an assault with racist intent, then it's a more serious offence. Now, on one level, that might sound reasonable, but if you're the parent of a child who is assaulted, and, you know, you're now told by the system that it's somehow less serious 
that your child was just assaulted because the person who did it didn't like their parents, you know, as opposed to the child was assaulted because of their race. Now, there are arguments, you know, you can say it has a whole chilling effect on a particular vulnerable group. I get that. But I just think that there is an argument here that the equality before the law is an important principle and it should really be, you know, leave it to the judges, I would say, to decide if there's a, a racist element or there's some evidence of racist element, then, you know, let that come into play at the sentencing stage. But I think the same crime should apply regardless who is the victim, you know. OK, we'll keep in touch because you seem to be very much uh, au fait and on top of this situation and that uh, I, I do believe that there needs to be some rewording of that proposed legislation and let's hope that comes to pass uh, with what everybody um, deserves. Robust expression of ideas is a fundamental right of all, especially in a functioning republic. Thank you very much, uh, Senator Ronan Mullen, for uh, taking you, our call no. today on the hate speech bill. That's uh, Senator Ronan Mullen. Now, um, we have more text to get to, uh, other bits and pieces, but that freedom of expression uh, being a fundamental right of all, freedom of expression requires proper protection. Uh, and I would contend you don't reduce, reduce hate uh, by giving preferential treatment in law to some over others. You only add to that division. You don't solve verbal abuse issues by equating these with violence either. So that needs to be clarified. And when in doubt, a democratic government reinforces fundamental freedoms. It doesn't unwind to them. So let's keep an eye on this legislation carefully. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. And once again, on a very busy programme, we won't have time to get to all of your texts. Let's see if I can just get to a few of them before uh, we go to our phone lines again. On Camden, Fort Mar, well done, Mick, on giving my, uh, Michael Martin a shout-out and acknowledging his foresight and vision for Spike. Uh, a great section on the forts. It would be fab to get Camden... Uh, open again. Uh, we should be adding facilities in every corner of our harbour, but each year residents of Ahada have to uh, fundraise to facilitate their own pontoon. Surely Cork County Council uh, should cover these costs. And I've called out that there is a public meeting in Ahada uh, this coming Thursday evening. Hi, Mick. The Camden Fort Mar project was the origin of the species in terms of promoting the history of Cork Harbour. The volunteers have done an amazing job. Their ambition and vision has been incredible. Eleven years ago, I was involved in compiling a short history of the fort. Uh, that's uh, Councillor Kieran McCarthy. Uh, I have a YouTube link here, and maybe we can get that published for you. Uh, but now let's go to our phone lines again, and uh, to line two and to Maureen. Hi, Maureen. Hi, good morning. How are you? Not too bad. Is this Mick I'm talking to? Hello? Hello. Sorry, Hello. I can hear you now. Hi. Um, I just want to go back to James's comments earlier on um, when he said people walked into ele- election stations to vote in favour of abortion. Now, I went into the um, election station and I voted for the introduction of abortion. I didn't vote in favour of abortion. I don't really agree with abortion, but I don't believe I have the right to shove my opinion down the throat of anybody else. God gave us free speech and our free wills, so why should I take that away from anybody? So I think he was wrong in saying we all walked in to vote in favour of abortion. Mm -hmm. I I remember speaking at length uh, at the time to the then and still leader of Fianna Fáil, Micheál Martin, uh, who did a kind of an about-face on his own, through his own personal examination, through his own thought process, uh, about how he was going uh, to vote. And that put him uh, at risk in certain um, a certain parts of of his own party, um, and I remember I remember him ask, asking him the question: uh, Am I getting a, a more humane and human Mihol Martin this morning uh, than I would normally get from uh, you know a Cork lad who's become 
uh, in all essence, a world-class political operative. You know, he's, he's risen to the highest office in the land. Not president, of course, but the highest office in the government. Uh, and he did some soul-searching on that. Um, but uh, he found in the maturity and reflection the way he wanted to vote. I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to go back on which way he did vote, but he did go against certain elements of his party. Did it, did it take a lot of reflection uh, to hold the beliefs, the you know, the anti-abortion beliefs that you hold and uh, and to walk in and vote in favour for its facilitation in certain circumstances? Um, it did and it didn't. Like, I do believe that, you know, like this morning we had that priest basically pushing his opinions down everybody's throat. And I don't think anybody, while we all should have the right to say what we want, which we mightn't be able to do for much longer, we um, we shouldn't enforce our beliefs on anybody. And like that man James also said that, you know, uh, if his daughter came home in the morning, he'd fully support her and everybody should support um, a daughter who comes home pregnant. But what happens if his daughter came home and said, Dad, I'm pregnant? but I'm having an abortion. Would he support her then? That's a fair point. What if she came home and said, Dad, I'm I'm pregnant, but I've been raped? Yes, exactly. And I'm not keeping the child. I'm not going to put the child up for adoption. I'm having an abortion. End of story. Like, how would he feel about that? Would he support her then? Okay. They were just some some comments I wanted to toss out there. So so did you choose to vote with or against your conscience or or kind of a blend of both? A blend of both, really. Yeah. Um, You know, like, I I will say I have never been in a situation where I had to consider an abortion. So therefore, I don't think I can speak for anybody who had to go through such a dreadful ordeal. Um, So, you know, like, nobody knows what's going through the mind of somebody who chooses to have an abortion only that person themselves and it must be fairly traumatic Okay, uh, when, when, you know, when you arrived at, at your decision, you were in this free democratic republic able to cast your vote that way? Yes, yeah. yes Alright Maureen, thank yes. you very much And oh, just on the, the new bill that's coming in, I believe that the Neil Prenderville programme and yourself and Neil will be out of the job because nobody will be able to talk freely anymore <laughs> That's true or even think about talking freely the way they're looking at it. We need some uh, some rewording of that, I think, and uh, we're glad to Thanks highlight absolutely. it anyway. Thanks, Maureen. Absolutely. Good morning to you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, on Eurovision, um, the uh, Laura was fantastic and also bubbly. Make Eurovision is synonymous with the male gay community, so if anything, it's more men than women fans. And on GEA Under-14, hi, Mick, will you be talking about the Under-14 game? at the weekend between G- B- Bally Giblin and St. Vincent's. I'm not sure I'm, there's a lot I could add to it. I saw the video. The game was abandoned after a kerfuffle and broke out between the teens. Kerfuffle? It was more than a kerfuffle. Uh, full on. Um, it was full on. Uh, as a parent of young kids, I'm disgusted with the carry-on. Normally four and five-year-olds would be brought to these matches to encourage them. Uh, many would now uh, leave the sport afraid to go back after what they witnessed on Saturday. That video is doing the rounds online. My thanks to the producers, uh, to Kevin, to Seamus and to Claire. We're back. Well, I'm not back tomorrow. Uh, Kevin is going to sit in the hot seat. I've got a medical appointment that's unavoidable, but I will be back Thursday and Friday and all next week. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.